Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC 297, Strickland versus Duplessis. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me, as usual, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the SureDog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing today? Doing good, man. It's pay-per-view week. That's always extra exciting to me. So, uh, yeah, man. How you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, it is, in fact, the UFC's first pay-per-view offering of 2024. The UFC is back in one of its favorite stops outside of the U.S. or even outside of its home base of Las Vegas. It's back in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, specifically at the Scotiabank Arena. Uh, give me your general letter grade or, or take the temperature of this 12-fight card. Uh, how do you feel about it? Um, it's okay. May I C, C plus maybe. Um, the the main event, if you asked me a year and a half ago that Sean Strickland and Drinkus Duplessis was fighting at UFC 297, I would have guessed that it was a better chance of it being a prelim fight than being the main event. Now, credit to both these guys. <laughs> Obviously, they both had gone on incredible runs. They're both coming off the biggest wins of their career. Obviously, Strickland the champion. Uh, it, it's just not expected. I will say the UFC has done a really good job of. I mean, the the promo they did at, at the fight night, the Ankaliyev Walker card. I thought it's one of the best promos I've seen. It was really, really good. I think there's a line, and I actually see both guys' side. So, so the big the big promotion thing that's going on right now is, you know, the the abuse of of Sean Strickland, the abuse he got from his father, and then did Duplessis go too far? Now, I understand Duplessis' take. Like, don't be a trash talker if you can't take it back. Don't sure. be, like, a brash guy, too. Like, you know, just, like, the playful talking trash and then, like, oh, you went too far. Like, that's not Strickland. Strickland's, like, yeah, I mean, he went after, like, Ian Gary's wife and shit. Like, like you cross the line yourself. So I get yeah. it from Duplessis. That said, because someone does something that they shouldn't do doesn't mean that you should also do it. So, you know, the old two wrongs don't make right. Well, yeah, yeah neither, neither of them came came across like sounding like a grown up here. Yeah, yeah. So like it's, it sounded like two eighth graders like arguing whose fault it was that they got in the fight at recess. Well, so he did this I, first, so I did it back. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I saw the 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 Theon the the what is his name Theon Vaughn. I don't, I don't know. Really yeah. Yeah. Theo Von. Yeah. Sorry. I watched too much Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> added, added random ends at the end. My name uh, is Reek. Yeah. Uh, uh, Theo Von. I saw his interview. I mean, it was, it, it was, it was some hard stuff, man. That guy mm -hmm. deals with some demons. That sold me on this fight, too. It, it definitely brought me more interest in Sean Strickland. Seeing that side of Sean Strickland attracts people. Like, realness attracts people. You know, like taking taking take off your mask for a second and 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 show you real real you that attracts people. So, uh, yeah, I, because of that, this is gonna get a higher grade than than I think it deserves. So that's why I like give like a C plus. The rest of the cuts kind of bad. I I agree on on a on a lot of points and one hundred percent cosign on everything you said right there. I, I, as someone who really my first job in MMA was 
interviewing fighters. I just did piles and piles of interviews and you've done some incredible interviews. You definitely crave the realness. Like if somebody had asked me my first week at, at Sherdog, hey, do you want to interview Conor McGregor or do you want to interview random fighter fourth from the top on, you know, this upcoming card? Why would I want to talk to McGregor? He's going to give the same answers he gives everyone else. He's always on. Like you're, you're yeah. getting almost no chance of any realness. Same for John Jones, same for George St. Pierre. Like those would be yeah. bucket list things, but that's no, exactly completely right. agree. That's it. Like that's it. Just to tell your friends you interviewed these guys. Yeah. But Strickland humanized himself for better or worse. Like yeah. sometimes when somebody shows you what they got inside, it, it's not all pretty. Sean Strickland is absolutely one of those. Uh, but it's not an act with him, like completely agree. And I caught the high points, like transcripts of uh, the Theo Vaughn interview. And yeah, it's raw stuff. If he weren't so brash, it would make him a much more sympathetic figure. I mean, yes. think of somebody with a similarly terrible background who chooses to kind of be mild mannered and buttoned down. Like think of like Rose Nama Yunus when you want to young getting in her face about stuff. But yeah, you know, and, and, and you want to she didn't cross the line. No. You wanted it. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so just you be in Yuana. Yeah. Uh yeah, I, but you know, these don't have to be great people. Like we we like them not to be criminals because we want them to make it to their fights, but they don't have to be the kind of person you'd, you know, bring to tea with grandma. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I'm a <laughs> snowflake over here. No, like, no, 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 not at like, all. It, like just me. All the shit though, I'm sold. Like I just, <laughs> if you told me this a year and a half ago, I'd be like, oh yeah, it's a decent fight. Like, but I wouldn't have been sold. I, I'm sold. So the, 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 the jumping in the crowd, like, yeah, yeah I, I would have wished that Gilbert Burns' kids wasn't right there, but yeah, yeah, I still, I still, even, even Gilbert afterwards was like, no, I, I knew it was coming. I kind of got like the wink and the nudge and kind of got out of the way. So presumably, like the good dad he is, he got his kids out of the way first, yeah. you know, car carried Herbert out, and, and then, you know, uh, we were yeah. all good. Uh, as far as this card goes, I agree. The, the main event is compelling. And it's compelling as a fight. It's now compelling as a story that sort of makes up for the co-main event. I, we'll get to it when we get to it, but the women's bantamweight title fight between Raquel Pennington and Mayura Bueno Silva is, is, is rough stuff. Aside from that, it's like south of those two title fights, this would be a, if this were a fight night card with some other headliner, like say Strickland and Duplessis is it for the title, I'd be like, this is one of the best fight night cards ever because they've got that geographical appropriateness to it. There are 12 fights on this card. The only three fights that don't have a Canadian are the two title fights where you got to book who you've got and Arnold Allen versus Mozart Avloyev, which is far enough up the ladder that it might be a title eliminator and there isn't a Canadian that far up the rankings in that division right now. Uh, the other nine fights, each of them has a Canadian and each of them has exactly one Canadian. So the, the crowd in Toronto is likely to be very invested in these fights. But yeah, uh, it, it's not the fireworks that we'll probably see at UFC 299, 300, 301 because the UFC is trying to stack 300. Stuff's going to spill either way. But hey, uh, it's the, the first pay-per-view of the new year. It's what we've got. And some fights is better than no fights. Uh, any general thoughts on this one before we jump in? Uh, I mean, like I said, you know, the rest of the cards, like, like Alan Nevlov is, is dope. I mean, a lot getting a, getting a test against Maggie, like those, those, that's good too. But generally speaking, um, it's not the best card. No. 
First up on the UFC 297 undercard is a men's flyweight matchup between Malcolm Gordon and Jimmy Flick. Gordon, the 33-year-old Canadian, in fact, uh, Toronto area native, is 14-7 and overall. He is 2-4 and since joining the UFC as a former flyweight champ in Canada's TKO promotion. He's on a two-fight losing streak, though in his defense, those have come against Mohamed Mukhaev and Jake Hadley, two of the hotter prospects in the division. He fought most recently last March. That was the Hadley fight. Got knocked out in like 60 seconds. Uh, so he's looking to bounce back from that two-fight losing streak. He's looking to do it against Flick, who is on a two-fight losing streak of his own. 33-year-old Oklahoman, 16-7 and seven overall, 1-2 and two since joining the UFC out of the fourth season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, it's worth noting, though, that he debuted all the way back in December of 2020, so three years ago. Got a spectacular first-round submission of Cody Durden, retired shortly thereafter, and didn't come back until the beginning of last year. Uh, since coming back, he's 0-2 with TKO losses to Charles Johnson and Alessandro Costa. The most recent of those, the Costa fight, was at UFC on ESPN, Vittori versus Cannoneer back in June. Uh, he got pounded out on the ground in the second round. So uh, he's looking to snap a losing streak as well and secure his position in the division. Keith, I'm going to quiz you on some of these odds tonight because for the most part, the lines are pretty close. Uh, your favorite in this fight is minus 130. Your underdog <laughs> plus 110. Who are they? Oh, jeez, I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, Jimmy Flicks looks terrible lately, but... Malcolm Gordon is, is, I mean, this is low level. I go the hometown guy as a favorite, Gordon. You are correct. Gordon, uh, minus 130, Flick plus 110. I mean, I, and I think both of us generally shy away from trying to suggest when fighters should retire, should walk away, unless they're just very obviously compromising their future health, uh, you know, let alone a fighter who at the time was on the right side of 30, but there's a good argument to be made that Jimmy flick could have just walked away after arm barring Cody Durden, like he tried to. And that would have been, that would have been his Rudy moment. Like, yeah. you know, like <laughs> Rudy was he's never going to be an all American. He was never going to play in the NFL. So just going out on your teammate shoulders after playing like one game, what was your best possible outcome? <laughs> Maybe that was it for Jimmy flick because since coming back, it's been a rough look for him. Obviously he, he burst onto the scene because he got the flying triangle on Cody Durden. But what we've learned since then is that going for a flying triangle might be his highest percentage takedown. Uh, he is basically the modern scaled down version of Dustin Hazlett. He has some dazzling submission ability, mm -hmm. nice but between that, he's not very athletic. He's not very physically strong. He has terrible striking defense and just has a tough time getting the fight to the ground in a situation that suits him. Like his fights have gone to the ground against Johnson and Costa, but not until he was already in serious trouble. And while Gordon is probably a step down, even from Johnson and Costa, if he wants to stay on the feet and just, Peace break a uh, peace flick up at range. I think he's going to be able to. I'm leaning uh, Gordon via decision here. Just I I see flick either just testing his luck on the feet and kind of getting marked up with body kicks at range, getting jabbed up, or him going for low percentage takedowns and really getting mauled. Maybe not a finish, but just a kind of a one sided decision loss for flick. Tell me if you feel different. Well, I mean, the nice thing about Flick coming back was was not just him coming back, but how the rest of the uh, UFC roster, the, the 
all the flyweights that walked in Dana White's office and dropped their gloves on his desk and said, I want Jimmy Flick to take my place. <laughs> that, that was <laughs> That was, that was, that's added to the Jimmy Flick. That, that's an old school Rudy reference for those, for you, all you, all you young hip, young hipsters. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. Like in, in the fifties, there was, I am Spartacus in the eighties. There was, I want Rudy to take my place. You know, in, in 2022, we had like, you know, we probably had like Davis and Figueredo saying, I want Jimmy Flick to come Jimmy back. <laughs> well, they all wanted somebody that could be. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, I mean, Flicks looks so bad lately. I mean, he looks so flat against Charles Johnson. Uh, he isn't an athlete at all. He On the feet, he's a very unorthodox striker, yeah, a bit of like a Tim Elliott style where he's thrown from weird angles. Uh, defensively, he's pillars, which I hate. Uh, a, lot, a lot of kicks, but he doesn't check leg kicks. I mean, Alessandro Costa butchered his, butchered his legs. Uh, he throws weird shots to try to close the distance where he can kind of use his size and grind and he will wrestle, but he's not like a drive through your hips guy, get to the second level. He needs to set up his takedowns. He just dives right in. Uh, we'll pull guard. If he gets the fight to the ground, he, he, he obviously he's good at scrambling. I mean, you, you compare him with Dustin Hazel. I think that's a perfect comparison, but he's a big submission threat. He changed submission attempts together. He'll run a gauntlet of different sub attempts, but he'll rush takedowns that aren't there. Now, his favorite, like, he loves the, the Von Flew choke, um, but he'll play BJJ instead of working back to his feet, which I don't like. Malcolm Gordon, a uh, good athlete, you know, getting up there in age for a flyweight, but fight, fights with a lot of pressure, good volume, quick hands, nice power. The problem is he's he's always been in striking defense. He's, he's a little too hittable. Um, I mean, you go back to the Hadley fight, I had you know, crushed him to the body. Uh, he can get the fight to the ground. He, you know, he's a decent decent grappler. Uh now he he isn't a great wrestler. I mean, the dude's Canadian, so I mean, you know, there's only this this George St. Pierre, and then yeah, every, everybody else who tries to wrestle in Canada, yeah. you know. Okay, uh, just like the whole the whole legend of George St. Pierre saying, "Hey, maybe I'll try out for the Olympic team in wrestling." Only worked because he was in Canada. Yeah, <laughs> if, he, if he said that in America, like we would have no. all just laughed. Yeah, he's 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 not making uh yeah, he's, he's not making the American team. Or, he, or, he could, he or could still Iran. make the UK team today. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. UK is probably better than Canada at this point. Yeah. Uh, if he get, you know, if he gets the fight to the the ground, um, you know, he's he's not the most explosive guy. So, yeah, he's kind of more of a grinder's mindset to get it there. But he is a submission. He's got six subs himself. I'd be surprised he he, he subs Jimmy Fleck unless you know Jimmy Fleck gasses out. Uh, he's usually wins but just outworking his foe and, and then finding a sub in an opening but a, a big issue is he's a he's a he's a weaker defensive wrestler so this is a guy that flick may be able to get the fight to ground uh this is a bad fight i mean it, both guys are low level flyweights gordon i think has the advantage on the feet while flick is the better submission artist I, i'm gonna go with the hometown guy i'm gonna go with gordon uh flick is like so bad i mean he retired and since retiring he has he hasn't looked motivated at all I say Gordon stops enough of Flick's takedown attempts and lands some shots on the feet. I, I want to take a finish, but uh, I'm going to say that Gordon just outscores him and he wins by decision. Next up on the UFC 297 undercard is a welterweight matchup between Johan Lainez and Sam Patterson. Lainez, the 31-year-old Canadian, is 9-2 and two overall. He's 1-2 and two since joining the UFC out of Season 5 of Dana White's Contender Series. He fought most recently 
last February at the Mooney's versus Allen fight night, where he got tapped out late in the first round by Mike Mallott, who appears further up this card. Uh, he'll look to get back into the win column against Patterson. Uh, Patterson, 27-year-old Englishman, is 10-2-1 overall. He is 0-1 since joining the UFC out of season six of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he won on the Contender Series, got knocked out by Yanal Ashmas in his UFC debut at UFC 286 last March. Both his Contender Series appearance and his UFC debut were at lightweight. Here he's moving up to welterweight. Speaking strictly by the eyeball test, that's an appropriate move because he is an absolutely gigantic dude. Uh, I mean, he's a gigantic dude even for welterweight. Uh, 6'4", not skinny, but... Uh, We'll see if, if his luck changes in this new division. Your favorite in this fight, Keith, is minus 140. Your underdog is plus 110. Who are they? Whew. I'm not very high on either guy. <laughs> um, Lenace is the favorite. You are correct. Uh, stick stick with the homers, looks like, and you're going to do all right. You're 2-0 so far tonight. Lenace, minus 140. Patterson, plus 110. Uh you kind of answered this question for me already, but if either of these guys is in the UFC and still cashing checks two years from now, which one of them is it? Like, is, is there any kind of upside in either of these guys at 170? And Patterson's the, the anybody who has like in a, a distinct advantage in one area to me is always kind of that answer. And when a guy's like nine feet tall, I'll go with that. So I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll go with Patterson. But, but I'm not predicting that for either one. I don't think either one of these guys is any good. Who wins this fight and how? Um, so Patterson, like I said, like, what did you say? Six, six foot four. Um, yeah. I don't, anyone time when someone's really tall for a division, I'm like, I'm always okay with them moving up. That said, I hope his move up to, to welterweight is simply because he couldn't, you know, struggling to make weight. Not that I got knocked out. Oh, I have to move up, like, because I don't think that was the case. Like, because he's going to get hit even harder in lightweight. That should be, should be welterweight. Uh, sure. Uh, you know, he's a long length guy, even at at welterweight. Not a great athlete. The reason why he got knocked out is because he's flat footed. Uh, he stands very tall, chin high in the air, backs his head straight up in the center line. That's why he got knocked out. Now he does some good things. You know, he, he works behind a jab. He doubles it up. Uh, he throws straight shots down the pipe. Uh, I, I like his straight right. Uh, he makes the mistake of sometimes leading with an uppercut, which is super dangerous, which which I, I definitely don't like. I'm also obviously basically coming off that knockout. I'm worried about his durability, you know, and and even his contender series when he was hurt in that fight. Um, kicks are a good part of his game, obviously, but he throws a lot of naked kicks, so he's open to that. Uh, he can use his size and grind in the clinch, but if he try when he tries to get the fight to the ground, you know he's He's got good top control if he gets to fight the ground, but he struggles to get there because he's not much of an offensive wrestler, and and he's he's a weak defense wrestler. Now, if he gets to fight the ground, he's got some submissions, particularly using those long arms to guillotines. He likes that. Lenes, no, he's not tall like like uh, Patterson, but he's a bigger guy for the weight class too. So, you know, um, he's you know pretty strong guy. He moves well. He he likes he's a guy that he likes to keep his distance, work from the outside, and then suddenly crash in the pocket in a flurry and land some big shots. He's got good power. I mean, he really steps into his shots. He's got six KOs. Um, I go back to like when he dropped, uh, you know, crushed Gabriel you know, and dropped Gabriel in a fight. The problem is he makes 
the mistake of loading up. And I, credit to DC, he pointed out, yeah, I think it was his last fight, that he actually shows, he really telegraphs his right hand. Like every time he's going to throw it, he like almost shows it. Uh, he he loves the brawl. He wants to get in the pocket and throw some haymakers. Uh, but the problem is he overthrows his shots, leaving him open to be countered. Uh, I like his kicking game. He goes with hard kicks, but he has so many defensive issues. He backs straight up. He pillars um, almost to the point where he's turtling up uh, to defend shots, which I hate. I, I like that he will look to wrestle, but he's definitely not a wrestler by any means. Uh, he he kind of gets out of position, reaches without any setups. Uh, once he gets on top, he needs to improve his top control. Doesn't have a single submission in his career, and he he has gassed out in the past, which I don't like. And I'm not high in either guy. I think both are very low-level talents. I'm going to go with the power of Liness. Like, I, I still don't – yeah, I'm, I I do like Patterson moving up, you know, just the, not having the weight cut as much. But show me that he can fix those defensive issues. Linus, I'm not big on him, but he can still land one, one big haymaker, and I say he does. I say he knocks out Patterson in the first round. I – well, I definitely couldn't have said it any better, but <laughs> I'm I'm really not going to try very hard to say it any different because I, I see it the same way you do. I'm not I'm not super high on either guy. I, I think Lanessa's absolute ceiling would be to settle in as kind of a second or third tier action fighter who wins enough to stay on roster and and picks up a, you know a bonus every other fight or so. That would be his his like top level aspiration here. Where Patterson, he's yet to show he even belongs. And while both of them have plenty of flaws, if Lainess loses to Patterson, it's probably just by diving straight into a guillotine. Uh, he'd have to make a pretty bad mistake, I think, to for Patterson to have a straightforward route to victory here, where whereas Patterson gets clocked with punches in just about every fight, and Lainess throws plenty of them as hard as he possibly can. Uh, telegraphed or not, I think one of them is going to find Patterson. He's just so bad defensively on the feet. Uh, I'd, I'd love to be different than you just to be contrarian, but I see it the same way. I think Lainess finds Patterson's chin in the first round and this thing is over. And maybe Lainess picks up the first of the, that string of every other fight bonuses here. Because if there's one thing we learned at UFC Vegas 84, it is that really tall guys get knocked out spectacularly. Next up at UFC 297 is a women's flyweight matchup between Jasmine Yazdavisius and Priscilla Cachoeira. Yazdavisius, the 34-year-old Ontario native, is 9-3 overall. She's 3-2 since joining the UFC out of Season 5 of Dana White's Contender Series. She is coming into this fight off of a loss. Uh, she went 2-1 last year, but she lost her last appearance of 2023. It was a unanimous decision against Tracy Cortez at the Grasso versus uh, Shevchenko uh, Noche UFC. So she's looking to get out of uh, Mexico, uh, sports-wise speaking, and, and into Canada. And she's going to look to do it against Cachoeira, 35-year-old Brazilian, 12-5 and five overall, 4-5 and five in the UFC. Uh, she lost her last time out as well, getting armbarred in the third round by Miranda Maverick. Prior to that, she had been on a two-fight win streak over Ji Yun Kim and Ariane Lipsky. Uh, her presence on this card is uh, just the UFC testing whether the Toronto crowd is paying attention since she is fairly infamous for her fight with Jillian Robertson, 
Canadian, also won this card, where she lost by first round submission after blatantly eye gouging Robertson several times. Uh, I won't bother to ask you who's the favorite here because yes, Davisius is the biggest favorite on the card. I will say, how big a favorite is she? Like, uh, what's, you, what's the minor? You said she's the biggest on the card, so I'm going to go pretty high. Negative 480. Minus 400. Biggest uh, favorite on the card. I mean, she's around minus 450 on some. Minus 400 would be a, a decent value on her right now. Cachoeira coming back at plus 320. Uh, here, I mean, you and I will, will probably say it every time for as long as she's in the UFC. Priscilla Cachoeira shouldn't be in the UFC. Uh, if, if Paul Daly, a top 15 fighter at the time, got a forever death penalty from being in the UFC for barely grazing uh, Josh Koscheck <laughs> after the bell. Priscilla who has the one who has the Koscheck? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, everybody wanted to punch Koscheck. Uh, yeah. Kashueta should have gotten fucking deported for what she did to, to Robertson, yet here she still is. That's the bad news. The good news is she's turned into an okay flyweight. It's women's flyweight, so it's one of the the thinner, more wide open divisions. But she's four and five in the UFC, and she's beating the really bad ones. Uh, the The win over Ariane Lipsky is continuing to age well, but uh, she she's got her limitations. Uh, she's not as psychotically aggressive as she was when she got to the UFC, but she's still pretty aggressive. Not a great athlete, but strong. Um, just wants to brawl it out on the feet her ground game is still pretty deficient i think that all spells bad news against yaz devisius uh yaz devisius is bigger she's not a great athlete either but she's at least as strong and she actually is, is a well-trained wrestler with good technique uh it's just such a joy to see a woman's flyweight that has a way to get the fight to the ground other than the the headlock throw uh i, I see this being a Yazdavisius fight rather than the Cachoeira fight. Because if it's a Cachoeira fight, it'll be more fun. But a Yazdavisius fight is going to involve her taking Cachoeira down with relative ease. Like I could see her being like, you know, she's five for eight on her takedowns tonight. Almost half the fight worth of top control, but never really threatening with a submission. Just sort of busting her up with mild ground and pound, doing enough work to, to win rounds. Give me Yazdavisius in a, a decision here. But I almost hope I'm wrong just because it'll be a more fun fight if if Kashwara can stay upright and tries to brawl it out with her. Yeah. Um, you already mentioned about the eye gouging, so I'll move on there. I mean, Kashwara. Yeah, I, I I think all right is is a good way to describe her skills. It's like it's like when your wife like asks you how she looks and something that you you don't like, but you're just like, yeah, you look okay. And you're like, right, you know, and you're like, it's silly. Like, that regret? Like, no, I mean, Pr yeah, Priscilla, like, Priscilla, yeah. that pair of jeans, Cachoeira. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, she's a pressure striker, constantly moving forward, uh, but she she struggles to cut off the cage and, and tends to chase a little bit. Uh, if she go and gets a better athlete, if she gets in the pocket, she unloads some big shots. I mean, that's her. That's the big part of the game. She throws haymakers, tons of hooks. Uh, sometimes she can kind of just duck and throw. But she has, she's shown she has power in the division. I mean, she's knocked out Shayna Dobson, Gina Mazzani, Ariana Lipsky. I mean, that Lipsky fight has aged really well since then. Uh, but despite her power, I mean, it's, that's really it. I mean, her striking defense 
it's still bad. Her hands are really wide. She drops her hands. She keeps her chin high in the air. Uh, she will sneak in a takedown, but she hardly ever wrestles. You know, like she hardly looks for wrestling, but she actually has the skills to get there. Uh, if she does, she's a top side grappler. But like, you know, she's not some wizard. I mean, she gets smoked on the ground by Jalen Robinson. She gets subbed by Miranda Maverick. She's a weak defensive wrestler. So, uh, Jessica Vicious, she's a big, strong woman for the weight class, long and lengthy, very, you know, very physical. I mean, you see her, she's got like arm muscles and, and, and you can see her, you know, shoulder muscles. She, she like, it's just like that, like tall woman's like strong physique, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, she's kind of like Bo Nickel. Like a female bow nickel. Yeah, yeah. Like a female bow nickel. There you go. Get out get out early. Uh she likes to bully her opponents in the clinch. Um, she she likes to march down her opponents and 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 get them in the back foot where she's gonna try to get the fight to the ground. Um, when she's striking, good volume, nice jab. Uh does have some defensive issues, keeps her chin too high in the air. Uh she's similar to what I just talked about. Um catch where she struggles with like better athletes. Like she really struggled with the speed and timing of Tracy Cortez. Uh, she was also hurt to the body in that fight. Uh, she will clinch when pressured, and that's her best thing. She just uses her height to kind of batter with knees inside against the cage. She she likes a kind of grimy, grueling fight. Uh, when she tries to get the fight to the ground, she likes upper body locks and trips. Good top control. I mean, Miranda Maverick couldn't get her off her. Mean ground and pound, uh, though she's not much of a submission threat. Yeah, I'm 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 not surprised that Jackson Vicious was a huge favorite. I thought this was the easiest fight to pick of the whole car so so i think vegas is right about this one i think catchwear just marches forward and every time she does justice just grabs her takes her down over and over again i think she gets i think she batters her on the ground with ground and pound uh i say justice just wins an absolute blow i think we might have some 10 eight rounds in there too we head now to the strawweight division and the matchup between jillian robertson and poliana viana Robertson, the 28-year-old Canadian, is 12-8 and eight overall. She is 9-7 and seven since joining the UFC out of season 26 of The Ultimate Fighter. Notably, she is 1-1 one one since dropping the strawweight. Uh, her entire first portion of her career was conducted at flyweight. She's decided a little over a year ago to drop to 115 pounds thus far with mixed results, but uh, good enough that she has chosen to stick with it. She armbarred Piera Rodriguez last April in her strawweight debut, came back in June and dropped a unanimous decision to Tabitha Ricci. She will try to turn things back around and get into the win column against Viana. 31-year-old Brazilian, 13-6 and six overall, 4-5 and five since joining the UFC as a former jungle fight strawweight champ. She is coming into this fight off a loss as well. She got tapped out in the second round by Yasmin Lucindo at UFC on ESPN, Luque versus Dos Santos back in August. Odds on this one, your favorite is minus 225, your underdog plus 175. Who are they, Keith? Um, I will say the favorite is Robertson. You are correct. Four fights, four Canadian favorites thus far. Jillian Robertson, minus 225 here. Poliana Viana, plus 175. Uh, Okay, so Jillian Robertson, to me, was very much a known quantity as a flyweight. Uh, She was in that, well, attractive Canadian with dyed red hair 
category with uh, Random Marcos, where yeah. <laughs> good grappler with, without the means to get the fight uh, to the ground a lot of the time and was probably just going to win one, lose one, win one, lose one for a long, long time. I, I was intrigued when she decided to drop to 115 pounds because some of her problems were going to be helped there and others weren't. Uh, like one of her problems is that her striking is ugly. It, it, it has no power and she's not defensively sound. That's not going to be fixed by a change in weight class. But her other problem that she is a very good grappler who doesn't have the athleticism, strength or technique to consistently get the fight to the ground. That might've been helped a little bit. It, it certainly was against Piero Rodriguez, but Rodriguez is very low level. It wasn't against Tabitha Ricci, but Tabitha Ricci is a very strong athletic 115 pounder, even if she is small. Here against Viana, I don't know if I'm comfortable with Robertson being greater than the two to one favorite, but Viana's got some of the same problems. She's a good grappler who's physically kind of thin and willowy and yeah. not really. I you would no one would ever refer to Poliana Viana or Jillian Robertson as Diesel. Neither of these women is Diesel. Yeah. They're not Miranda Maverick and Ariane Car Carnalosi out there. This is a little bit of a mirror match in some ways, but Robertson has been doing this thing against bigger women than Viana has, in many cases against higher level women than Viana has. There's every possibility that they cancel out and this just turns into an absolutely terrible slap fight on the feet between two women with middling technique and low power. Uh, but I hope that is not the case. I hope the fact that they both have poor takedown defense and both kind of want the fight on the ground to mean that we get a ground fight. And I do think that favors Robertson if we get it. Uh, Robertson has been partially hampered by the fact that she's a very good grappler, but she's had to operate from her back almost exclusively because especially at flyweight, if the fight went to the ground, it, the other woman was on top and she's good from bottom, but it's just hard to win consistently against good fighters from guard in modern MMA. Here, we might see Robertson end up on top, and she's a good top position grappler too when she can get there, All, has always excelled in scrambles. So give me Robertson here in a really fun fight where, again, I hope we get some fun, like kind of, I hate using this cliched word, chess matches on, on the ground and as little as possible of what would otherwise be very ugly striking display. But uh, Robertson by decision for me. Yeah, I, I agree that like, these these girls are both very similar. I mean, you talk about, you know, you said they wouldn't be considered diesel. They're, they're the ones you go to the gym, like, they're, they're not in the squat rack. They're, like, running on the treadmill, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or doing the spin class or something like that. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, Jillian Robinson would probably do, like, a spin class, but they somehow would trip trying to get on the bike because she's such a bad athlete. Um, I mean, her she's really weak striking. Every time, you know, she, she made, like, like, you know, it looked like progress against Pierre Rodriguez, and then she just struggled with the speed of Tampa Ricci and got beat up on the feet. Uh, very hittable fighter, lacks head movement. I've said this before, but she almost like turns away from her opponent to avoid strikes. I, I mean, make no mistake, she she wants to close the distance, she wants to get the fight to the ground. She will shoot for takedowns, and she does pretty well turn in the corner, but she, you mentioned, she shoots with no setups. Uh, she can be very desperate at the fight to the ground. She'll try to catch a kick. She'll dive in for a takedown. She'll, I've seen her try to like flying arm bars and, and, and pull guard and all kinds of stuff. And that ends up on bottom a lot. But she wants to be on top. She's a top side grappler. She's, when she's on top, she's got good control. Um, 
kind of like an RDA or something like that, where she's, you know, not the most dynamic grappler, but can hold you down. Uh, she did show an ability recently, which I liked, that when she was taken down by Tap of the Ricci, she did work to get back to her feet instead of just playing BJJ like she normally does. She has a submission threat, though. Uh, she's got some slick back takes. She's got seven subs on her record. Pollyanna, almost identical. Not a striker, but she has been showing some improvements. She likes to work from distance. She she throw this like the same side attack, um, like she she's very like she'll throw like right hand right hand right hand over and over again. Uh, she has a little little bit of power. I mean, she did drop John Newfry. Not not too much of it. Like she throws a lot of kicks, but like there's nothing spectacular. She doesn't check leg kick. She keeps her chin very high in the air. She wants to get the fight to the ground, but also also weak wrestler also shoots without setup she'll also pull guard uh she doesn't have as good of a takedown defense as jillian roberts has uh and, and some of that is because she just wants the fight to go to the ground anyways but she off her back is more of a submission threat than jillian roberts i mean she caught emily whitmire submission she caught mallory martin in submission she's pretty good at scrambling um though she will play a little too much BJJ off her back. I mean, she, she did it against Tabitha Ricci and trying to get back up. She had no urgency in that fight to get back up to her feet. Uh, I, she's got some sweeps too. Uh, the, she wants to be a grappler, but she's also been submitted. Like she was submitted by Lucinda in her last fight. She was submitted by uh, Macedo in, in their fight. Uh, if she gets on top, she got some good ground and pound. I, I mean, I feel like I'm just rambling on and on about a low-level fight. Uh, I'm not very high on either. Uh, Viana, even though I think she's a weak grappler, might actually be the better striker here. Uh, they both want to grapple. I think Robertson's probably the better wrestler. I think I, I think we do get a heavy grappling matchup with Robertson being on top for most of the fight, and I think that uh, gets the advantage. I think as the fight goes on, I think Robertson actually might catch Viana. Um, she would just arm triangle choke. I say it's going to happen again. I say Robertson wins by third round submission by arm triangle choke. Next up. Men's Bantamweights take the cage for one of the stranger rematches in, in, in UFC history as we get Sergey CD versus Ramon Tavares 2. CD, the 27-year-old Canadian, is 10-1 and overall. Uh, this will be his UFC debut. He won on the Contender Series last September in a first-round TKO. We'll talk more about that in a moment, but uh, this will be his first appearance since then. He'll be taking on Tavares, 30-year-old Floridian, 9-2 and overall. He fought on the Contender Series twice last year. He lost in September, came back five weeks later, and knocked out Cortavius Romeus in like 30 seconds to punch his ticket uh, to the UFC. These two, of course, fought one another. It was September 5th of last year on uh, week five of the Contender Series. It was a all-out brawl on the feet. Both guys were getting their licks in. Uh, CD hurt Tavares. Referee Kevin McDonald trying to make us forget about uh, his weird stoppage in the Ankalaya versus Kudalaba fight, goes in for an even worse stoppage here as everybody, including the winning fighter, was confused when he stopped it. Basically, Dana White and the Contender Series crew made the best of it that they could. They gave CD a UFC contract. They brought Tavares back, gave him a second chance. He made the most of that chance knocking out again, knocking out his opponent in 30 seconds. And here they're making the rematch. It's not really a grudge match. Both guys seem pretty sporting about the whole thing, but uh, the first fight was fun for the two and a half minutes it lasted. So they're running it back. Apparently, whatever 
we saw in that two and a half minutes wasn't enough to really sway the betters very much because uh, CD is a minus 165 favorite, Tavares around plus 130 as the underdog. And that's almost identical to what it was for their contender series appearance. So uh, everyone just kind of shrugs and, and we do this thing again. Keith, uh, tell me who you see winning this one. I, I mean, I'm not even going to ask you if you see top 10 upside in either of these guys because this is men's bantamweight. Yeah. And <laughs> Mario Bautista just won a sixth fight in a row, and he might be in the top 10 now. Yeah, uh, like it's high, much higher level, guys. I'll, yeah. I'll say this. Both of these guys have the kind of knockout power that we used to think 135-pounders didn't have. Should at least be fun. Who you got? Yeah, I think both guys are promising guys. Um I agree with what you said about the, the stoppage, terrible stoppage by Kevin McDonald. He jumped in way too early. Um, not even those were like, well, better early than late or in that pendulum. I mean, the guy was clearly fell down, was reacting to the shots coming next. Um, City, you know, what I've seen in these guys, pretty well-rounded. He's a kickboxer. He works behind a power jab, throws straight punches down the pipe. Everything stays loose and inside. Uh, he has a high guard defense. I like that he steps in elbows. He, he actually did that against Tavares in, in their fight in the contender series. Uh, I saw a fight against um, oh, I can't remember the guy's name. That he he ripped the body, dropped the guy with a body shot, then finished up in knees later on. He's got he's got I'd say plus power. He throws a lot of kicks, but he does throw naked leg kicks, which I don't like. Keeps his chin a little too high in the air. He he will go for takedowns. Definitely not a wrestler, but he gets on top strong ground and pound. I haven't seen too much of his takedown defense or submission defense, so I'm going to kind of just pass on those. Uh, his opponent, Tavares, southpaw, pocket boxer, good head movement, slip and rip guy. He he loves to brawl. Uh, his last fight, he he got like a rematch. I'm uh, sorry, this is a rematch, but he had like a. Um, uh, what am I, redemption fight on the contender series lot and and it was like it, it didn't last long but it was fun as hell as it lasted they just stayed in the pocket and threw down uh the guy's got fast hands but he can crack got some big big power uh, you check out his fight against um crazy horse bennett i mean his not damn it fight. i should have gone first because i wanted to talk about that but no hit me oh hit it's me. a great knockout <laughs> <I> mean, <Bennett laughs> just, like he, bennett completely dies like his soul is ripped out of him on the feet and just like you just oh you just you see this does off switch just get hit um he, he, he the way he fell it, it felt like uh one of those one of those uh christmas blow up doll things you have in the front lawn and then you're like, like oh turn hey, off the air yeah it's like and you pull it out and just shoot. like that's how how uh crazy horse fell um so the guy really steps in his, in his shots i haven't seen too much of his ground but he has three subs on his record so i like that uh, you know, their first fight, I mean, it was really quick, but before being dropped, Tavares was doing well. Um, mm -hmm. I thought he was getting the better of the exchanges at first. Um, in fairness, that's not fair because, you know, it was such a quick fight. I, I like Tavares. I mean, he was blasting City, and, and I just keep picturing City throwing a naked leg kick and, and Tavares catching him. I'm going to say Tavares evens the score. I'm going to say Tavares lands a first-round knockout. I definitely should have gone first uh, <clears throat> because first thing I was going to point out is Ramon Tavares knocking out Charles Crazy Horse Bennett in a hotel ballroom was less than a year ago. That was March 2023. I I remember saying a few years ago on our show about about uh, Sergey Spivak when he joined the UFC of like, if you beat 
Tony Lopez and Travis Fulton in two of your last three fights, you were not UFC ready. Uh, I was getting ready to serve up something similar about Ramon Tavares. Like if a recent stoppage of Charles Bennett is on your reel that got you to the contender series, you may not be ready for prime time. But then I was going to flip that around by picking him in this fight because, yeah. City beat Tavares, and if the stoppage hadn't come, who knows? Maybe he would have actually finished him five or ten seconds later anyway. But before then, it's not like he was outclassing him. It wasn't like, yeah, it was a, a wild exchange and CD hit that shot because he was just more composed. It, it wasn't like that. It's just he happened to land. If these guys fight 10 times, it might end in 10 first-round knockouts and they go 5-5 five and five or 6-4 and four and something. Uh, they're both wild men, but I think of the two, Tavares might have better one-shot power. And you pointed out CD's propensity for throwing naked leg kicks that leave him wide open for a, a counter up top. I, I'm with you. Uh, give me Tavares by first round knockout. CD by first round knockout wouldn't surprise me either. Uh, the only thing that would surprise me is if this thing goes the distance. But uh, call that our, our first unanimous upset pick of the night. And by MMA math, Ramon Tavares is better than Vanderlei Silva. Okay, you did it. Oh, oh yeah, because Charles Bennett and I got Vanderlei. I'm trying to remember. I actually tried doing an interview with Charles Bennett once. He like gave me his phone number, and I called him, and I. Oh, I think it was, <laughs> that phone I had think already it was, been disconnected. Did, what, did no, it work? no, no. It was like. I asked for him, and then like some lady. In, I think I'm, I'm trying to remember. I want to say like some lady ensign. It was like some side chick of his, and then he's just like call back like Tuesday or some shit. Like call back Tuesday. The answers. He has no idea who I am, and he's like, I think he thought I was like his parole officer or some shit. And and then like he, I could hear all this like shit going on in the background and he's on the front porch and he's like <laughs> like forgets he's on the phone with me and, and i could hear like tv playing and oh what a fucking guy like what do you think charles ben we should do something what do you think charles ben is doing right now there's no way he's like yeah there's no way he's not freaking high like, yeah i he's what what a what what a delightful train wreck of a, of a man oh i love it I love it. Yeah, he's like, there's a better chance. Like, all right, so it's, it's 10 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, East Coast. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's what, Miami guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, so so 10 o'clock his time. Mm -hmm. There's a better chance of him being in a jail cell right now than him being in bed. <laughs> like, like, yeah, I got to go to, got to get up around the morning and let me go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, if he's in bed, there's a 50-50 chance there's like a steel toilet he can see from where he is. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that's that that's terrible, and I'm completely leaving it in. <laughs> it continues to be Canada versus the world on the UFC 297 prelims as Charles Jordan takes on Sean Woodson in a featherweight feature. Jordan, the 28-year-old Quebecois, is 15-6-1 overall. He is 6-5-1 since joining the UFC as a former two-division champ in Canada's TKO promotion. He's on a two-fight win streak, those being a decision win over Cron Gracie last May and a first-round guillotine choke of Hikarjo Hamos last September at UFC Fight Night Fizzy versus Gamrot. He will look to make it three in a row and 
make waves towards becoming more than just another exciting fighter at featherweight against Woodson. Uh, Woodson, 31-year-old St. Louis, Missouri native, is 10-1-1 overall. He's 4-1-1 since joining the UFC out of Season 3 of Dana White's Contender Series. He's on a four-fight unbeaten streak since getting tapped out by Julian Arosa, goodness now, over three years ago. He fought most recently last August at UFC on ESPN, Sandhagen versus Font, where he had an absolute carousel of potential opponents. I think he literally had four opponents announced in three weeks. It ended up being the UFC re-signing Dennis Bazookia. Bazookia showed up incredibly, missed weight by only half a pound, and was pretty competitive, sort of competitive, in a unanimous decision loss to Woodson. So Woodson at least does come out of that with a W. Here, he actually gets to fight his scheduled opponent that he prepared for the whole time. Uh, but is he the favorite? Keith, your favorite is minus 180. Your underdog, plus 145 here. Who are they? Oh, this that, that that's wrong either way. The line should be much closer. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say Woodson's a favorite. I'm sorry, it continues to be all well, Canada. Yeah. Jordan is minus one eighty. Canada down. Woodson. I I got my I got my favorite Canadian just snuck up the stairs right now, <laughs> trying to not make any noise. Right in front of me, looking beautiful as always. I pull her I pull her on air right now, but she wouldn't want to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Schillen still undefeated. Uh, <laughs> yes, queen queen of the of the Shillin household. I, I I like this fight. It's it's one that I mean, men's featherweight is another one like men's bantamweight where we will always say, and you kind of brought this idea out. Draw any two names out of the top twenty or twenty five, and you're probably going to have a competitive fight, and you're probably going to have a good fight. Here's a matchup I never would have dreamed up mostly because I have to remind myself they're even in the same weight class. But as soon as they announce it, I'm like, I like this. Uh, Jordan is, he's starting to calm down a little bit. You and I right now are basically 24 hours removed from talking about Johnny Walker in the wake of his most recent loss. And, you know, we previewed it before that. And we had a little talk on the preview about fighters who come in just wild and with seemingly no game plan and how some of them successfully tone it down to where they become they they stay exciting but don't needlessly throw fights away um you know the difference between johnny walker and michelle Pereira right now or something jordan is headed in that general direction like uh the air jordan nickname yeah it's silly but at least he earns it by doing a lot of flying stuff but he's become a guy who he is a plus athlete he uses that to his best advantage, but without gassing himself out too badly, without leaving himself open defensively. Uh, as he showed in the Hamos fight, he is capable of quick strike offense in the submission realm as well. It's not it's not all just, uh, you know, high kicks and, and flying knees and spinning elbows. I don't know how well that works against Woodson. Uh, Woodson is a guy, this shouldn't be working at the UFC level. He is on the short list of the most oversized fighters just by the eyeball test for his division in, in any division in the UFC. He's a 6'2 featherweight who, I mean, he has a big upper body, like broad shoulders. Just his upper body is short because he is all legs and arms. Like he has, he's got to have one of the longest inseams in the UFC. Uh, and 
with that, he, he operates as a boxer. You know, he's, he's one of the prettier pure boxers in the division. He will kick like he's got some nasty kicks. His, his uh, front kicks up the middle that he uses as kind of a secondary jab. Like, you know, he has his regular jab, which is great. And then his teep kick up the middle is kind of his, my, this is my loaded for bear, my elephant gun jab, because it's going to stop you. And it's going to make you want to throw up when, when it hits your, your midsection. They're, they're very effective, but this guy should be a takedown dummy for everybody. And he really hasn't been, he should have the worst gas tank imaginable. And he really doesn't. It's remarkable to me that a guy this big who must have the kind of weight cut he does is able to throw as good a volume as he is for competitive three round fights. I keep waiting for this to not work for all the wheels to fall off the wagon. And it really hasn't yet. Uh, Here Woodson is the underdog and I kind of like him in this fight. Uh, funny thing is, Jordan has not really distinguished himself as a wrestler, offensively or defensively, but he's strong and fast enough that I think he could probably just crash the pocket, drop levels, and pick Woodson up and put him down. But I don't think he's going to. I think he's going to try to do Charles Jordan things. And against somebody with, you know, the size and kind of long range weapons that Woodson has, I think he's going to be stuck on the outside quite a bit. I, I think this turns into a Sean Woodson fight where the sniper nickname really sticks. You know, you think, okay. Yeah. Snipe. He's not a one shot, one kill guy. It's more of like a paintball sniper where, ow, ow. Hey, hey, that, that, yeah. that hurt. Man, I'm Joe glad I got goggles on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think Woodson frustrates Jordan and we might get our first Canadian in the L column of the night. I'm calling the upset here. Woodson by decision in a a really fun fight where Jordan just isn't able to do anything spectacular. And Woodson is the guy winning the fight from minute to minute, round to round, because he's coming forward. He's throwing more strikes. He's keeping Jordan on, on the back foot and Jordan just never really gets comfortable. This is a this is a dope fight. This is probably the fight of the prelims I'm, I'm most interested in. Definitely um, be most interested in the winner moving forward because I mean it'd be a pretty good streak for either guy. Uh, I mean Woodson is like you talk about his height and everything. I mean he's beyond huge. I, I met him in purpose. He's he's the same height as Randy Brown, and he kind of looks like Randy Brown would if he tried to cut to 145. <laughs> yeah, no shit. If if Randy Brown got like struck stuck on a like deserted island or some shit, <laughs> um, yeah, I met him in Boston a couple of years ago, and, and we were talk we were talking to each other like after like interviews and stuff. We started walking next to each other, and I just like, damn, dude, like I felt so intimidated. Like just looking up, they just kept looking and looking. I felt like I was like the first time I went to like. Uh, I went to like uh, New York City and I was I was looking at the trying to get look at the top of the Empire State Building from the bottom and I'm like standing in the middle of the road <laughs> craning your neck. From, yeah, <laughs> it's like that uh that scene in I feel like that scene in Sing. You ever seen that movie Sing, the Disney movie? Yes, where the uh the the guy picks the picks the giraffe and he's like yeah. trying to talk to him and he can't and then he picks the gorilla. <laughs> you you can uh, always. You can always tell a tourist in St. Louis because, you know, they, they stand in front of Sean Woodson and try to look up at the top. <laughs> of his head. Right. Take a picture of them. It's like, um, damn, move it, tourist. <laughs> hey, Sean. Uh, so, yeah, he's a really good striker. Uh, constantly switches stances. Uh, works really well from the outside. He stays very calm and poised. Works behind a very crisp jab. He loves cracking the body. He looks when you come inside, he starts turning things up uh, inside, looking for uppercuts. I'd say plus power. 
doesn't have the power you think he would for someone his size. Uh, he throws a lot of kicks because, I mean, it's so easy for him to get, you know, high kick up to your head. Um, the way to beat him is to pressure him and force him to kind of uh, close up, get in, get in the range. You're going to have to eat some shots coming in, but get in, get inside. He has no issue being forced back and fighting off his back foot and like fighting with his like very Anderson Silva, like putting his back against the cage and kind of have one of those kind of battles. I hate that personally. I, I think he likes to defend takedowns. Like he, he enjoys working it. He won't really look for takedowns, uh, but he, he has been taken down before his sub defense needs to improve. I mean, he was submitted by Julian Rosa. You said like his, you know, he, you expect him based on his size to kind of slow down and, and not work for him. His gas tank. I mean, that, that was the one fight where you saw some cracks in it is the Rosa fight. Jordan, Jordan is a high volume striker. I mean, his pace he put against Shane Burgers. I, I always keep going back to that fight. It was absolutely nuts. Uh, fights out of both stances, though I do prefer him in the uh, southpaw stance. Uh, I mean, he's an amazing athlete. Very quick hands, explosive, sharp left hand. Uh, I love his lead uppercut, in which uh, – well, no, I shouldn't say. He loves his lead uppercut. I don't love it, especially, <laughs> not, especially not against Sean Woodson. I can't even read my own, I can't read my own notes. Uh, he can he, – one thing I've seen him, which I love, is he's been throwing – you know, he, he, he throws and throws, but he's been throwing to spots instead of just throwing, you know, to hit his opponent, which I really love. But the mistake on that, he overthrows sometimes, which leaves him to be countered. And, and Woodson's like definitely the guy that you have to worry about that. And defense has always been second to him. Like, he doesn't care about getting tagged up. And he'll fly. He'll throw a flying knee or flying jump kick or some shit. Uh, hard kicks, uh, especially to the body. He's really slick on the ground. Doesn't get enough credit. I mean – He's a he's a real submission threat. He has, I think he has got four subs, five uh, now, five subs. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, they, I, I mean, he he was constantly looking for his subs against Kulabau. He wasn't going to get Kulabau with it, but he caught Lando Fanati. He caught Ricardo Hamos. He's got one of the slickest guillotines I've seen. Um, I mean, he almost caught Burgos a bunch of times with submissions. Uh, but he, I mean, he was subbed by Julian Rosa. But I mean, that that guy's so underrated. Um, not the best wrestler. That's the problem. Like he he can get the fight to the ground. He will shoot. I think he's the better wrestler than Sean Woodson, definitely. Uh, if he's, he's a Canadian that... national team level. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, good get-up game off his back and, and incredible cardio. I think this is a really hard fight to pick. I love Jordan's output in, in grappling, but I just also love Woodson's boxing, and then obviously his size is nuts. Man, I, I, I don't want to pick against either one. I, Jordan, to me, is one of the most entertaining guys to watch. And Woodson just, you know, if you told me one of these guys was holding a title one day, it would be Woodson for sure. Right? You know, I'll, I'll, I'm not picking either one of these guys. But if you asked me to, you know, it'd be Woodson. I'm just wondering. I, mean, I do think this is a step up for Woodson. And, and I wonder if he's a front runner a little bit. You know, when, when times have got a little tough, you know, against Julian Ross. And again, that was a long time ago. He seemed like he took found a way out. I, I think he tags up Jordan early. I just think that pace that Jordan's gonna put, I don't know if Woodson can contain that pace, especially if Jordan forced him on his back foot, forced him to wrestle. I think he eventually takes Woodson down. I think Woodson makes a mistake, and I think Jordan jumps on a guillotine. I say Jordan catches him in a guillotine. I'm gonna say he does it in the second round. 
Next up at UFC 297, and at least as the card is constituted as of the beginning of fight week, the top prelim is a men's bantamweight matchup between Brad Katona and Garrett Armfield. Katona, the 32-year-old Canadian, is 13-2 overall. He is 3-2 across uh, multiple stints in the UFC. He was released from the UFC uh, over three years ago on a two-fight losing streak. He returned last year, uh, came back with a victory over Cody Gibson to bring himself above 500 in the octagon. He will look to extend that against Armfield. Uh, Armfield, 27-year-old St. Louis native, is 9-3 and three overall. He is 1-1 one and one in uh, the UFC. He made a short-notice debut all the way back in July of 2022 against David Onama. That was Onama kind of paying it forward after his own short-notice debut. But Armfield acquitted himself fairly well on the way to a uh, second-round submission loss, then came back last August for uh, his first proper fight in the UFC, knocked out Toshiomi Kazama in the first round. So he's looking to make it two wins in a row as well. Uh, your favorite here is minus 180. Your underdog is plus 145. Who are they, Keith? Nah, Katona. Katona's you are favorite. correct. Katona is the favorite, uh, completing the sweep. All seven Canadians on the seven-fight undercard are the favorites. Katona minus 180. Armfield plus 145. Do you feel like Brad Katona is a different fighter than he was in 2018, 2019? Or is it just he's the same fighter and he's gotten the right matchups, at least thus far? Tell me how you think this fight goes. Um, a little bit of both. I I, I don't think he should have got cut from the UFC. I think he was one of the guys who got one of these ones like head scratcher that he got cut earlier. And then you have other guys who just stick around forever and ever. Um I think he fights much different in his last fight than he has in <laughs> previously. I mean, you look at his run on the on the other fight. I know you fight differently when you have to fight every like two two and a half weeks, whatever, whatever it is, uh, on the Ultimate Fighter show. But I mean, his his opponent Cody Gibson in the pre-fight talked about you know called him you know super boring. He tries you know, he's hard trying to stay awake and all this stuff. And then Katona and him just put on one of the fight of the year candidates. Which I was lucky to be in person. I mean, and Katona's not known for being that kind of action guy. Uh, good output on the feet, tight boxing, uh, throws a, a lot of combinations against Cody Gibson, throws a lot of hooks. His left hook is, is probably his best weapon. He likes to go to the body. He doesn't have much power and he, he can tend to overswing his shots. But I mean, in fantasy, he, he broke, I think he broke. Cody Gibson's orbital bone at the end of that fight. So, um, you know, take that for what it's worth. Uh, good kicks to the body. He lacks head movement, uh, and he's been hurt. I mean, he was hurt to the body against Cody Gibson. Uh, he Typically, he wants to close the distance and grind. He wants to – which is really funny being that he's, you know, John Kavanaugh, Conor McGregor team, you know, SPG Ireland guy because that's not really the game, but he he's that guy there. He wants to grind and – work in the clinch and dirty box. Uh, he will wrestle. The best part of his wrestling game is he stays glued to his opponents. Very, you know, going to make you work, make you work, make you work. And the issue is he'll hit, he stalled at times, really slowed the fight down, stalled, doesn't really do much. But he has three subs on his record. Armfield, not the greatest athlete, but he's super tough. Uh, you know, high volume, fast hands, accurate, tight boxing, 
attacks with combination, really steps into his shots. Uh, he likes to work the boxing. I haven't seen too much of his offensive wrestling, but he's a really weak defensive wrestler. Uh, and, he, and he was subbed by David Onama. It, you know, when when we do these previews, you know, I really try to dig into the fights and sometimes you got to sacrifice away and doing tapes and Bracketona usually is put that at the bottom of my list. And if I get to it, I get to it. I kind of feel like this one, I, I didn't do enough. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I wish I had more notes on Onfield. Uh, Onfield is a better athlete of the two, which is funny considering I said he's, he's, he's a weak athlete. <laughs> Tota's not a good athlete at all. Uh, but Katona's such a smart fighter. I could just see him using his footwork, keeping the range he wants, throwing kicks from distance. When Armfield gets in the range, Katona starts to wrestle and wrestle. I just see this happen 50 minutes. I say Katona wins a decision. Yeah, I see this one largely the way you do. And I agree. Like, like Katona, you would think by the eyeball test, he would be the, the better athlete of the two. I mean, the guy he basically looks like TJ Dillashaw. Uh, but no, he's he's a, a grinder who just gets things done by making things miserable for his opponents. If you'd asked me at the end of 2018, you know, coming out of uh, the Ultimate Fighter, I mean, dude, on the Ultimate Fighter, he beat Kyler Phillips and Bryce Mitchell, and he tapped out Bryce Mitchell. Like, you know, yeah. like, and then he, he wins his first two in the UFC, admittedly against not great competition, even after running into Marab, who is just like a supercharged kind of version of himself. Uh, I would have said, yeah, this guy might be Canada's top prospect right now. The loss to Hunter uh, Azure has not aged well, but he looked good in Brave CF. He won four straight there. He won a title there. And by the time he did, I mean, you could make the argument that Brave CF is, is the best feeder league right now. It's what, I think it is. Yeah, it's, it's what LFA was in, you know, 2015, 2016. Yeah, uh, but, yeah, the reason I asked you the question I did to kind of lead into it is that I feel as though he's not a night and day different fighter. He's just a slightly refined, probably very much in his prime version of what he always has been. Like 32 is on the tail end of prime for Bantamweight, but it's more like dead center for someone like Katona that it's never been about fast twitch athleticism anyway. Like it's just strength and endurance. And if anything, that that's better uh, now than it was before. Uh, I, I like Armfield's upside. I agree that he's he's a flawed fighter. But, you know, at, at 27 and more athletic than he looks, good offensive weapons, he has better upside. Like, I, I feel like I know what the next five years of Katona's run are going to look like. Whereas, you know, if, if Armfield turns into a top 10 Bantamweight for a minute, I won't be that shocked. Uh, but here, I, I think it, it, it's all Katona. Uh, Armfield he's not going to be able to keep Katona off him. Even, even if he stops the takedown, there's only a, a, an incremental difference between 90 seconds of ground control or 90 seconds of getting mashed into the fence and trying to scrape a dude off your back using the fence. Like, you know what these sequences are going to look like. If you're watching this preview right now, you know what I'm talking about. Katona drops levels in the middle of the cage, runs Armfield all the way to the opposite yeah. side, Armfield does a good job of wide legging. We get 20 seconds of that where Armfield can't even really go for the, the elbows because if, if he does, Katona's going to tip him over. That's right. Then Katona moves around to the back. Armfield plants slides a hand. His slides yeah. his foot behind his leg. Yeah, yeah. yeah slides his foot behind his leg. Yeah, Armfield starts like planting his hand so that Katona can't knee him in the head. 
the Katona hops on his back, Armfield has to scrape. You know what this is going to look like. And whether it's on the ground or it's on the cage, it, it's it's winning Katona the round, mostly because Armfield is 100% in reactive mode. All of the offense, whatever it is, is coming from Katona. I don't think it's going to be super pretty, but give me Katona by decision here and just expect a lot of those sequences. The five-fight main card of UFC 297 opens up with a featherweight matchup between Arnold Allen and Movsar Evloev. Allen, the 29-year-old Brit, is 19-2 and overall. He's 10-1 and in the UFC. That's the good news. The bad news is that he started his UFC run with 10 straight wins. That lone loss came in his last appearance. It was last April in the headliner of UFC on ESPN 44, where he came out on the wrong side of a five-round unanimous decision against former champ Max Holloway. He will look to bounce back and reaffirm himself as a near-future title challenger against Evloev, who is trying to do the exact same thing. A 29-year-old Russian out of the tiny Republic of Ingushetia, uh, specifically, perfect 17-0 as a pro. A perfect 7-0 since joining the UFC as a former M1 Global Bantamweight champ. More on that in a moment. He fought most recently last May at UFC 288, where he took a unanimous decision over uh, Diego Lopez. He faced some surprising amount of adversity in that fight, but since then we've discovered that Diego Lopez is a pretty damn good fighter. Uh, prior to that, he had pretty straightforward unanimous decision wins over Dan Ige and Hakeem Dawadu to confirm himself as a top 15, if not top 10 uh, fighter in this division. Your favorite in this fight is minus 185. Your underdog, plus 150. Who are they, Keith? No Canadian, so you can't cheat. Yeah, this is a good one, man. This is this is the best fight in the card. Uh, I think the line should be closer, no matter which way. Negative uh, one eighty five, you said. Yes. I'm gonna say Arnold Allen is the favorite. Your favorite is Movsar Evloev minus one eighty five. Mm-hmm. Arnold Allen plus one fifty on the comeback. Wow. As good as these guys are, and. In a division like men's featherweight, I'm always going to take the field over anybody if you ask me if they're a future champ. But yeah, of course, yeah. this is about as close as you could get to me saying, hey, whoever wins this fight, if they win it decisively and uncontroversially, I'm high on them as, well, a near future title contender. And, you know, maybe if things pan out right, a future champ. And despite that, despite how incredible both of them are, they're both overachievers in a little in, in a way. Allen, for all he's done, is always overcoming that he's not a super athlete. He's just incredibly smart, skilled, well-rounded, resilient, well-conditioned, all of those things, but not a off-the-charts athlete. Avloyev, as incredible as he is, he's small. And he's not Armin Sarukian small or He's short and he's built like a tank. He's just small. He's a former bantamweight and he looks like it. And despite that, nobody's really been able to make him pay. He's taken on some people that are a lot bigger than him and it has not helped them. Dan Ige, who's not a big featherweight, was bigger than Evlyev. Diego Lopez, Enrique Barzola, Sung Wuchui, all way bigger than him. It's not mattered at all. Uh, one of these guys is going to continue to overachieve. Ah. <sighs> The question for me is whether Evloyev thinks his best chances of win, winning this fight hinge on him keeping it standing or bringing it to the ground. That's kind of what I'm interested in. He's shown 
incredible offensive and defensive wrestling, but his defensive wrestling in particular is spectacular and fun to watch because he tends to do it just by, I remember one of the first fights that we recapped was him against Mike Grundy in summer of 2020. And Mike Grundy, all jokes about UK wrestling aside, was a UK national team member. He is a very good wrestler. And I said it was like watching someone trying to give a cat a bath. Like he was able to get him on the ground, but Avloyev just as soon as his butt hit canvas, he was going somewhere. He yeah. never conceded the position. It, se- it seemed incredibly frustrating for Grundy. You could tell Grundy was getting frustrated by the third round. He was a little tired. He was very upset and discouraged. Like I don't think he had ever had that done to him, let alone by a guy that was visibly smaller. And Avloyev has been very good at scoring takedowns, mostly reactive takedowns. Like usually he gets his best takedowns when someone's coming in, he knows they're coming in or he's drawn them in, you know, with what he's doing on the feet. And he's just so quick, he drops levels. He's on their hips in a, in a flash and, and hauls them down, including against some people w- with traditionally good uh, takedown defense. I want to see his wrestling against Arnold Allen's and Allen has no credentials that I know of, but is a, one of the more MMA effective wrestlers, from the UK and MMA right now, but I'm kind of interested to see who is going to want this fight on the ground out of the two of them. If it stays on the feet the whole time, I think they're very evenly matched. Uh, Ivloyev is quicker, probably throws a wider variety of strikes. Allen, bigger, not quite as quick. I think he throws in combination better, uh, you know, a little bit more of a conventional, traditional uh, kickboxer. I'm leaning Evloyev here. I, th- I think we get some razor close rounds. I-, I wouldn't be surprised if this is one of the fights where if it's not a split decision, even if it's a unanimous decision, it's one where judges disagree on individual rounds. Give me Evloyev to, you know, to win this one. I, I think he'll kick it ar- at Allen's legs, kick at his body, successfully fight off takedown attempts. If Allen tries to take him down, probably try to avoid clinch situations. One place where I think Allen would have the advantage is if he can force a lot of clinch exchanges against Evloyev because that kind of negates his superior foot speed. It allows him to make Evloyev just wear his weight. Uh, I think Evloyev will be able to avoid those, though, uh, and win very narrowly in a super fun fight to stay undefeated. And we're not talking enough about this guy. If he's 18-0 and he's still a couple weeks shy of his 30th birthday why aren't we talking about this guy like we are about, you know, Shavkat Rachmanov or Mohamed Mukhaev or somebody. Taporia. Well, Ilya Taporia. And it's mostly because Evloyev wins straightforward decisions that are only exciting if you like really intricate, like, I, again, I can't believe I've said chess matches twice in, in one show, but you know what I'm talking about. Like, Grundy versus Evloyev is was only a blast if you love watching good wrestling. Otherwise, it was like, oh yeah, that was that decision thing where you know they were just yeah. flopping all over the place. Uh, we should be talking more about this guy. And if my pick is right, we will be on the recap. I got Evloyev by decision. Yeah, if 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 he wins against um, Arnold Allen, I mean, shit, everyone be talking about. Him. I mean, he'll, if he beats Arnold Allen, he's going to be one or two on my on the Bulls list. I mean. That that is as good and I mean Arnold Island. Yes, I understand that he recently lost to Max Holloway. But I mean, but, 
That is if funny. I may interject, he lost to Max Holloway, but one, Max Holloway is one of the greatest fighters of all time. Yes, two, <laughs> two yeah. almost nobody is going to be able to look at Max Holloway beating someone and see a blueprint to their own route to victory, no. but especially not Movsar Evloyev. No, no, no. Like, like uh, oh yeah, I'm gonna the six-foot-tall kickboxer, I'm going to do what he did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, Alan. I, I mean, he's a he's a great athlete. He moves really well, uh, especially laterally. Uh, he understand. He's very technically sound. He understands footwork so well. I go back to the Calvin Cater fight where he was getting Cater to chase him, and then he was just walking Cater right into punches. Southpaw, quick hands, accurate, short, tight shots, not many tells. He sets up his shots well with feints. Uh, kind of fights behind a Philly shell defense, which is so rare in MMA. Does well to slide of the pocket and land shots. Throws, you know, his left hand is a hard shot. Um, now, he can be a little too left-hand happy. We saw it against Max Holly. I mean, there's some of that was, you know, frustration happening, getting pieced up by, you know, one of the best boxers, maybe the best boxer in in, in the history of, of the UFC. Uh, so, but, you know, he'll like to leave with that left, straight power left. Uh, he likes to sidestep to his right to give himself a different angle to land the uppercut, which I like. Uh, because he's when he's doing, he's put himself off the center line. He has power. I mean, he knocked out Yusuf, Dan Hooker, Cater. Uh, he's got a sneaky high kick. Uh, he is open to leg kicks. I go back to the Sadiq Yusuf fight. Sadiq had a lot of successful leg kicks against him. Um, very good in the like exactly you said in the clinch, being this heavy, strong wrestler, just like whole, grinding on him. Uh, he now he can got some entries and he's got some nice entries. Uh, so, and he's got cardio. I mean, despite getting smoked against Max Holloway, I mean, he showed that he, you know, he's tough. He's going to be going. He's still going to be throwing hard, a lot and a lot of volume. Uh, Evelyn, I mean, he's a really well-rounded fighter uh, on the feet, high output. He's technically sound striker. He's fast hands, good snap on his shots, crisp jab, short tight power shots, you know, he, he slips and rips counters and just gets out of range and, and counters and, you know, combinations. Um, I'd say plus power, good kicking game. I, 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 you know, he's one of these guys, he'll throw a combination and throw a high kick at the end, which I love. Uh, and he does some stupid spinning attacks, but I'm not a fan of, but you mentioned his wrestling's off the charts, beautiful entries. I love his reactionary double of being pressured. Uh, very good at like timing his opponents, like to open up with strikes and then he drops underneath their shots incredibly good at winning scrambles um he's he's not the biggest guy like I, even though like you look at the in the in, you know the the line i think you know they're close to each other in height they're close to each other in reach they're obviously they're gonna be close to each other in weight but like he's not filled out like Arnold Allen. so because of that he, you know he, he doesn't have the best top control um he also isn't a submission threat but his take take on defense it, you know, he's been taken down. You mentioned like Barzolo took him down, Granny took him down, I mean, Lenz took him down, but incredible ability to to get back up and scramble. And then go back to like the Diego Lopez fight. Talk about a guy like he was put in some tough positions against like a really, I mean, guy that 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 one is really ageable. I mean, I know Lopez t- took that such short notice, but you know, was in some crazy scrambles and found ways to get out of some of the worst positions I've seen. This fight is so good. I've really flip-flopped. I'm worried about the intelligence of of Arnold Allen, the size of Arnold Allen. Uh, but then I'm worried about the, you know, just the the takedowns and the speed and of Evelweb and, and and his ability to get people guessing, oh, I'm striking, oh, I'm wrestling. 
I don't even want to t- make a pick. I just want to sit back and relax and just enjoy this battle because I think it's gonna I think it's gonna be a hell of a you know a matchup. I kind of wish this was a fight night main event. We got five rounds of it. I thought I was taking an upset. I'm going with Evelyn. So obviously he's not the upset. He's the favorite. Uh, I I wonder how Allen's gonna react to getting tagged up and beat up by Holloway. Is you know how that's gonna react? You know the follow up fight. You know, will that beating change him or anything like that? I think we, I think both guys are gonna have their moments. I think we're gonna have a back and forth war. I think we might have some incredible scrambles and and, and moments. I think we got a fight of the year candidate. I just say Evolve gets a couple extra takedowns, a couple more time, top, you know, top control. Give me Evolve to win. I'm gonna say it's so close. I'll see split decision. All right, that's two for Evloev by decision. And I realize now that I better clarify something before I get massacred in the in the comments. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned that Allen kind of overcomes his his athleticism. Keith just flat out says, you know, he's a very good athlete. I'm not trying to imply that he's a minus athlete. Like he is well, he's, he's not he's yeah. British. Like he, there's, there's a limit to his athleticism. Yeah. I mean, when we think about all time great athletes, we don't think of freaking some British guy. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> and he's he's. I think I'm Michael Bisping. Yeah, but but it, at 145, a, a lot of the great fighters are like otherworldly athletes, like Volkanovski, Ortega, Edson Barboza, and I think against Evliev, he'll probably have a bit of a, a deficit in just I like agree. sheer speed and fluidity. Yeah, but I agree. Allen is not a minus athlete. He he is a plus athlete. Just yeah, thank you. They're gonna comment anyway. The next fight on the UFC 297 main card. Well, Keith, let me put it this way. Four years ago, at the beginning of 2020, if you had stepped out of a time machine and said, all right, at UFC 297 in January of 2024, Chris Curtis and Marc-Andre Berrio will be fighting on a UFC pay-per-view main card, (laughs) and the winner is probably a top 15 fighter. Yeah, I would have laughed and laughed, and I would I would have said, you know what, Keith? When you said Chris Curtis, I thought you meant the PFL guy for a minute. So who's yeah. this Chris Curtis, and where does he come from? <laughs> yes, yeah, at that new, time, Chris Curtis. Yeah, yeah. At that time, Barrio was fresh off of his third loss in the UFC. He started his UFC run zero and three. Curtis had was on a three fight losing streak. Most recently he lost twice and retired twice on the same night in the PFL playoffs. What a turnaround for both these gentlemen. Curtis is nine and two since then. And up a weight class for Curtis and up weight class. Yeah. He was doing this against in at 170 against the Magomed Magomed Karamovs of the world. Uh, Curtis is nine and two since then and has become not just an action man, but a fringe contender man in the UFC. Barrio is five and two with one no contest, and that one no contest was him shellacking somebody and having it overturned for PEDs. So six and two in the cage, and at, at least now when you say when you see you say power bar, you're not just thinking of like you know bad nutrition bars from the '90s. These are two of the more unlikely success stories of the last four years in, in the UFC, and here they are at, at UFC 297. Curtis, thirty uh, six year old. Ohio native. He's 30 and 10 with one no contest overall. He is four and two with one no contest in the UFC. That no contest was in his last fight. He took on Nasruddin Imavov last June at UFC 289. The fairly competitive fight, but middle of the second round, they had a clash of heads that opened a horrible cut on Curtis's eye. 
he clearly sincerely wanted to continue. Couldn't see. They stopped the fight. Imavov has gone on to other things since then. Uh, Barrio, he is a 33-year-old from Quebec. He's 16 and 6 with one no contest overall. He is 5 and 5 with one no contest since joining the UFC as a former TKO middleweight and light heavyweight champ. He's on a two-fight win streak. Uh, he got tapped out a little under a year and a half ago by Anthony Hernandez. Since then, he has back-to-back wins over Julian Marquez and Eric Anders. The most recent of those, the Anders fight, was at UFC 289 last June. In fact, these guys fought on the same card in back-to-back fights. And I probably matched them up on the recap afterwards just because I'm lazy. Uh, and But hey, I was right. <clears throat> anyway, uh, he beat Anders last June. Now these two meet. Your favorite is minus 180. Your underdog is plus 150. Who are they? Uh, I'll say Chris Curtis, the favorite. You are correct. Curtis, minus 180. Barrio, plus 150. I, I, I see the, the dynamic here. Curtis has gone on to surprising success as one of the more undersized 185-pounders uh, in the UFC. And he's done it the hard way. I mean, he's taken on big guys that wanted to take him down. And, I mean, he basically pitched a shutout on Rodolfo Vieira uh, in terms of takedown defense. I knocked out Joaquin Buckley, one of the few guys shorter than him in the division. I, it'll be interesting to see if he can get it done against Barrio because Barrio, I mean, he's not off the charts huge, but he fights big. He's a big dude that fights heavy, tries to wear down his opponents, make him wear his weight, tries to outlast him. Uh, I mean, tell me if you see it that way and, and tell me who you think gets their hand raised in this one. Yeah, this is this is an interesting fight. I'm actually surprised it's this high up the card. Um, nothing against these guys. I just, Dude. If I, if I'm, you got, who are, I'm surprised that Jordan is on the prelims, but outside of that, Barrio and Mulatto are the two best Canadians on the card. I think they just wanted to have some Canadians on, on the yeah, main card. I just, I just think uh, I would have put Jordan and Woodson instead of this one, but I mean, Agreed. whatever. I'm just, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, we're just we're now we're like getting nitpicking over here, but uh, yeah, this should be a I mean, it should be an action fight. We both guys got power. Um, you know, Chris Curtis, you mentioned like he's he's going to be giving up a lot of size. Former welterweight, you know, he was never like the biggest welterweight to begin. I mean, yeah, he wasn't small; he was just an average guy. Uh, Southpaw, definitely a boxing style. He's a counter striker. Uh, does his best in the phone booth. You know, he likes to press forward, get to the pocket and let that tight, clean boxing go. He loves hooks and uppercuts, rip into the body. Uh, you know, we saw that against Hadolfo Vera, where he butchered Hadolfo Vera's body. He's a, he's a big power punch, especially, you know, so when he came in the UFC. I mean, he's been really cracking some guys. Uh, he can sometimes not match his opponent's output in giveaway rounds. We saw that against Calvin Gastelum. We saw that against uh joking buckley where he's just like what is he doing he's kind of a little bit of that oh hey masvidal if i'm not yeah i'm not getting hurt uh you know the, the judges understand that so that's that's a little bit of an issue he also does some defensive things which i, I don't like he's like the rolling with punches it just never looks good like it doesn't hurt him but it, it just doesn't look good and, yeah the optics aren't good uh, and, you know, it just makes it look like he's losing. Uh, he's also struggled at the times cutting off the cage. Like that happened against Jack Hermanson. He was able to catch up with Jack Hermanson. Uh, he, he can wrestle though. He almost never looks for a takedown. Um, 
but if he is, you know, getting that position and he's counter counter wrestling, you know, he's pretty good on top. Uh, he showed some good takedown events against Adolfo Vera, and he has the cardio. I mean, he, he can go hard all 15 minutes, and that's because he really conserves his energy so he can kind of crack later. Uh, Mark Andreberio, guy who fights out of both stances, high volume, presses the action, marches forward, good power, um, unloads combinations when he gets in the pocket, his straight right being his best blow, got some mean calf kicks. He wants to be one moving forward. Um, yeah, he doesn't want to be forced on his back foot like he was against Anthony Hernandez or Jung Young Park. He has a lot of defensive holes, one that he pillars. Uh, he will like to use his size. Like you mentioned, he'll get in the clinch, wear there, grind there. Uh, he'll also shoot for takedowns, though he isn't a wrestler. Uh, he showed some pretty decent takedown defense against um, Yako, but he couldn't stop the wrestling of Anthony Hernandez. And, I mean, I, I we've talked about this to a bull in the face about how underrated that guy is. Uh, and, and, you know, he couldn't get off bottom, but I wonder if someone like as small as Curtis, if he gets in that position, can hold him down. But he's got good cardio goal all 15 minutes. This is an intriguing matchup. I think the line should be closer. Curtis is in, is in a disadvantage due to just the, the size he's giving up. Uh, and also at times not matching the output. And for a guy, like when you look at Mark Andre Vera, the way he's built and everything, you wouldn't think he's a good like cardio guy, but he is. Um, that said, like they kind of Andre Vera has power, but Curtis actually might be the bigger, you know, cracker, the cleaner striker, you know, even though he's a smaller guy. I think both guys got to have their moments. I just think Curtis could get the better of the exchanges. I want to take Curtis by KO, but Andre, Andre Barrio is so tough and durable that he make. I think he makes it all the way. Give me Curtis by decision. Yeah, I I see it the essentially the the same that you do. For a while there, my thoughts were, man, I can't believe Curtis is doing this. Is he actually going to turn into a contender at middleweight? Because it's not going to take much. He came along at the perfect time where Sean Strickland's the champion. Sean Strickland's the champion. And before that, Israel Adesanya, before Alex Pereira came around, Israel Adesanya was getting ready to do a third lap around some of these dudes and, and deciding how vulnerable the current 205 pound champ looked. It was ripe for someone like Chris Curtis to string together four wins in a row and make it to a title shot. He didn't quite make it, but man, crushing Brandon Allen has continued to age well. Uh, it's just, it's a remarkable success story. Uh, an interesting thing with Curtis is, and I don't know how much of this is just bad luck or how much is due to his height and his stance and his boxing heavy style, but his last two fights have been severely impacted by bad head clashes. Like, you know, the Imavov fight actually ended yeah. on it, obviously, but he and Gastelum had a horrible clash of heads that arguably turned the fight. Um, both, you know, both ruled inadvertent, but if he's getting mm -hmm. the worst of them, that, that's cold comfort. I just hope that doesn't happen here, and there's every possibility it could because Curtis is going to want to box in very close range, and Barrio is going to want to close even that short distance and either try to take him down or mash him into the cage just please let this fight play out and let the better man win, you know, and let's not, uh, you know, be looking at another clash of heads short of something weird like that, though. I, I do favor Curtis. I think you're right in that, even though he's the much smaller man, he's the harder hitter, just due to whatever his natural gifts happen to be and just good tight technique. Barrio is extremely durable. 
the only time I can remember him being stopped on, you know, strikes is Chidi and Jokowani, who he's going to do that to people just every once in a while. Uh, I'm leaning Curtis by decision here. I think it's going to be a super fun fight. And when I say, you know, Barrio is kind of a a grinder and wants to wear people down against the cage, that makes it sound boring. And most fighters who fight that way can be a little boring. But for some reason, it just isn't the case for Barrio. Uh, so I think this is going to be a fun fight, whichever way it goes, but I, I do lean on Curtis. Uh, it, it boils down to who's able to manage distance. You know, both guys have good cardio. Both guys are reasonably sound defensively. Both guys have good offensive weapons. If Curtis can keep this in middle boxing range, that stands to benefit him. If Barrio can constantly either, collapse the pocket and get his hands on Curtis or force Curtis to move backwards to avoid that, that favors Barrio. I'm leaning Curtis here, but uh, wouldn't be shocked by the upset. And uh, the only thing that would really surprise me is if this fight sucks. Third from the top at UFC 297 is a welterweight matchup between Neil Magny and Mike Malott. Magny, the 36-year-old uh, Haitian-American, is 28-11 and 11 overall. He is 21-10 and 10 since joining the UFC out of the 16th season of The Ultimate Fighter. He is coming into this fight off a loss. In fact, he has alternated wins and losses for the last two years now. He faced Ian Gary at UFC 292 last August, dropping a unanimous decision. Prior to that, he had won a decision over Phil Rowe back in June. Uh, He'll look to get back into the win column here against Malat. Uh, 32-year-old Haligonian is 10-1-1 overall. He is 3-0 since joining the UFC out of Season 5 of Dana White's Contender Series. He uh, fought most recently in June at UFC 289, where he tapped out Adam Fujit in the second round with a guillotine choke. Odds here. Favor Malat pretty substantially. He is minus 350, Magni plus 275. Keith, when I talk about Neil Magni, it sounds like a welterweight version of the things I find myself saying about uh, Clay Guida, where stylistically he is basically the same fighter he always was. He remains a tough out for all but the very best of the best, but things are are clearly sliding. They're, They're clearly in decline. Uh, Magni did not have a meteoric rise. Obviously, there wasn't much yeah. on there, there wasn't much on Dana White's or sorry on on Tough Sixteen to make you think he was going to be easily the most accomplished member of that cast. Just he put his hard hat on. He if he learned one thing on Tough, it was I like fighting every other week, and he basically very, very quietly made his way up the welterweight uh, rankings just by fighting four or five times a year, being surprisingly effective. And because it was such a slow build, I really didn't change my overall thoughts about him until he was kind of knocking on the doorstep of the top 10 and he was beating very good fighters. And then it was like, well, how long can he keep doing this? Well, he's hit the apex and and his descent has been almost as slow as his rise was. The wheels haven't all fallen off at all. Even now, like who who's he lost to in the last couple of years? Shavkat Rachmanov, possible Stand. future champ. Yeah. Gilbert Burns, Stand. longtime top five guy. Ian Gary, Stand. all the drama aside, 
stud. Stud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and the others, he's beating good people. He's less than less than three years removed from def- definitively beating Jeff Neal, who's been a top ten guy. Danny Rodriguez, Phil Rowe, they're not bad fighters. Like nobody likes to be called a gatekeeper, but even now in the decline of his career and at 36, Magny is still a good test of whether you're a top 15 type guy or not. That makes this a perfect matchup. Uh, I just talked in our last clip about how weird it is that Chris Curtis and Marc-Andre Berrio are main card pay-per-view guys and fringe contenders. If you came to me four years ago and said, hey, Mike Malott is going to be fighting at welterweight and he's going to be knocking on the doorstep of of the top 20, maybe top 15, I would have laughed at you. I'd have been like the featherweight, like that that really skinny dude that that got pieced (laughs) up by Hakeem Dawadu. Like, give me a break. Malott's never making it to the UFC. He disappeared for a couple of years and I'm making, I'm casting no aspersions, no accusations. I'm not saying he found the last trove of pride vitamins, but he had one little transitional fight at middleweight. And then he showed up at welterweight about two years from his last fight at featherweight, looking like he never could have made 145 in the first place. He is a big, strong dude at 170. Yeah. Uh, the only, like the only fighter, and this is going to be kind of a deep cut. Uh, you, you'll, definitely get it but most of our viewers not it reminds me of micah miller like where micah miller cole miller (laughs) little little brother was a huge dude who just you know went from 145 to 185 in in like in six months that's malat and malat's 32 but feels younger and there are a couple reasons one because he still feels like he's developing skills wise two because He's got 12 professional fights. He had that that long layoff. Uh, so even though he's 32, he still has the feeling of, of an, an up-and-comer, somebody whose best days are probably ahead of him in, in this division. And that's why I like this, this fight. Magny, the definition of a well-rounded guy, we've said to exhaustion, he doesn't look like he should be as good a wrestler as he is. That's starting to slip a little bit. Like, it used to be remarkable how good he was as an opportunistic offensive wrestler and surprisingly good takedown defense for such a tall, skinny guy. That's starting to slip a little bit. You know, guys below the top, top level are, are starting to really be able to, to challenge his takedown defense. Uh, surprisingly good power. He's just a grinder. The perfect Neil Magny fight, the entire thing takes place outside of that octagon-shaped warning track. His, the entire fight takes place like within three f- feet of the fence where he's just making life miserable for his opponents. Here, Malat's a massive favorite. I don't know if he should be this massive a favorite because you know what? If he comes out and Magny starts piecing him up with the jab and long kicks and we find out that Malat can't take Magny down, you know, that he's not Shavkat Rachmanov or Gilbert Burns from that standpoint, it's going to be a long night for Malat. Like, I, I see upset potential here. I don't think Magny is washed. But if Malat is evolving, like continuing to evolve like he is, I think he's got faster hands and feet, more power. I think he is a good enough wrestler to get Magny to the ground and may just be able to brute force takedowns where Magny is doing everything right against the fence, like wide-legging, got the underhook, and Malat just hoists him and, and dumps him anyway. So give me Malat to get over in a big way here with the 
best name win of his uh, UFC run uh, so far. Malat by surprisingly one-sided decision for me. Oh, man. This is a... This is a crowd favorite fight. I mean, Malat is definitely the guy that the UFC loves, um, but he's got a tough tests. I mean, Neil Magny, I mean, we know what we got with Neil Magny at this point. I mean, my, my notes haven't really changed other than like his skills with a couple of down hours. Like I agree with you saying that going down, like he's always been a volume striker who gets stronger as the run goes on. But I mean, his output in the last couple of fights has dropped. Uh, he's, I think his speed has kind of dropped. Um, we saw that against Danny Rodriguez, Brock Monoff, Max Griffin. He really struggled with the speed and time of eating Gary. But again, a lot of studs we just named. And, and, and some of those fights, he got wins. So uh, he's a long and lengthy fighter that, you know, he likes to pop shot from range. He's got a crisp jab. Uh, doesn't really load up. Not a lot of tells. He loves teep kicks and calf kicks. Step in knees are, you know, kind of thing that he's so good at. Uh, he, defensively, he's always had all. He pulls his head straight back. He keeps it on the center line. Uh, but what he's good at when his opponent when his opponent gets in punching range, he's smart enough to kind of grab and, and initiate the clinch, grind in there, uh, win those positions, batter with knees and elbows inside, just make it um, frustrating. Uh, he's also good at just kind of hitting like a slide by in close. He did it to Danny Rodriguez a few times. Uh, underrated offensive wrestler, good. Uh, I mean, I, I I agree that his wrestling is still slipping, but if he still took like Danny Rodriguez down five times not that long ago, uh, relentless with the mat returns, but he has struggles to get people off him if, he, if they take him down. Uh, Rachmanov, Gilbert Burns, RDA, uh, all took him down. Um, you know, you got to worry about the damage he's taken over the years. I mean, the guy's thirty six years old. He's he's really, uh, you know, could fall apart at any time. Uh, Mala, on on the other hand, you know, he's looked really good. He's got a lot of hype. I'm not completely sold on him yet, though. Like, you know, this fight is the one that's going to tell a lot about him. You know, going, going, you know, pay-per-view main card in Canada against the biggest name he's going against. Uh, he's a good athlete. He's nice footwork. He works behind a jab. Does good to double up. Uh, good power. He can overthrow his shots a little bit. You know, and he doesn't he doesn't move his head that much. I mean, I've seen him get cracked a lot. Uh, as far as wrestling, solid entries. Uh, he has five submission wins. He got a submission in his last fight. He's got a great guillotine. Uh, you know, when we talk about the prospects or kind of like the new guys on the scene in, in, in welterweight, it's, it's like the funnest division right now in, in that sense. You know, when I think about those guys, Ian Gary, Shevkat Rachmanov, Sean Brady, Jack Della Maddalena, uh, Michael Morales, Mike Mallott is in that group. But right now, he's probably the last of that group on my list. I mean, I mean, in fantasy, he, he's faced the lowest competition of those guys. I mean, three fights ago, he was fighting Mickey Gall. So this, despite Magny showing huge signs of decline, this is still a huge step up in competition for him. I'm going to say Magny ruins the plans. I say he closes the distance. I say he grinds on Malat, and I think he wears Malat down. I say he gets a few takedowns. I want to say the old man still got one left in him. I say Magni wins a split decision. All right. If you are familiar at all with the Shillin and Duffy previews, probably once per episode, you will hear us disagree and hear me say either 
Keith is right on this one, or I hope Keith is right on this one. The sentimental guy in me, I hope Keith is right on this one. If you don't love Neil Magny, something's wrong with you. Uh, he is absolutely awesome. You know, very, very good fighter, underratedly good fighter, and generally speaking, the picture of class. Uh, and I, I would not be sad to be talking about what's next for a victorious Neil Magny on Saturday night on our recap. But uh, for the record, I have him a lot in this one. With that, we arrive at the co-main event of UFC 297 for the vacant women's Bantamweight title. It is former title challenger Raquel Pennington against rising contender Mayra Bueno Silva. Pennington, the 35-year-old Colorado native, is 15-8 and eight overall. She is 12-5 and five in the UFC. She is, as I mentioned, a former UFC Bantamweight title challenger, most famously faced Amanda Nunes in May of 2018, went down via fifth-round TKO after one, still one of the worst beatdowns in UFC history, one of the ones where controversy abounded afterwards over whether the referee and or her corner should have stopped the fight sooner than they did. But uh, since that loss, she's been on a good run. She's on a five-fight win streak. She fought just once last year, and it was almost exactly a year ago, uh, taking a split decision over Ketlin Vieira at UFC Fight Night Strickland versus Imavov. She looked to make it six in a row, and the sixth one would, of course, be the biggest win of her career against Silva. 32-year-old Brazilian is 10-2-1 with one no contest overall. She is 5-2-1 with one no contest since joining the UFC out of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil. Uh, this would be the time when I make my obligatory trivia footnote that she is the first fighter ever signed out of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil. Uh, she is... Coming off of a no contest in her most recent fight, uh, she fought twice last year, tapped out Lena Landsberg in February, came back in July in the headliner of UFC on ESPN 49, and guillotined Holly Holm in the second round only to have it overturned for uh, PEDs. Despite that, uh, she gets the title shot here, and uh, the line is close. Your favorite is minus 160. Your underdog is plus 130. Who are they, Keith? I think Bueno Silva is a favorite. You're correct. Mayura Bueno Silva is your favorite. I'm going to make two observations here and tell me whether you agree or not. The, the knee-jerk reaction, I think, for a lot of fans, and even for me, when I heard about this fight being made for the vacant title were, really, Raquel Pennington? That, that's the best you can do? Because... <laughs> My impression of her is frozen in time five years ago where she got absolutely pasted by Amanda Nunes. But the more I thought about it, and once I really started digging, I'm like, yeah, Raquel Pennington is the best we can do. And you name me another contender in that division, and Pennington's already beaten her. I, Ketlin Vieira, Macy Chasson, Penny Kianza, Irene yeah. Aldana. Yeah. It, Raquel Pennington is like when you come home from from work – after a long day and you're hungry and you're like, oh man, I wonder what my wife is cooking. And you're like, you know, you're really excited. And it's like, oh, maybe, maybe like it's a steak. And then, you know, that's Amanda Nunes. And then you're like, oh, it's probably not a steak. It's a, it's a Tuesday night. Okay. Oh, you know, maybe lasagna, you know, that that's, that's, the, you know, I don't know. That's Misha Tate or Holly Holm. Or, I don't know. She's like pork chops. You're like, 
Yeah, I like pork chops. No one's excited to eat pork chops. No one's like, like home. no one's got <laughs> home and you're like, oh man, I'm so glad at this pork chops. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I, I feel like there's some joke to be made here about like Tisha Torres coming home from work and seeing what Raquel Pennington's made for dinner, but I, I don't have I don't have the, the brain power to make it right now. Yeah, but that's I mean that's what I mean. She's good. She's good, and she's she's the quintessential problem fighter. Yeah. Even if the UFC has other ideas about who they'd like to take the division into the post Nunes era. And for the record, Dana White has always obviously really liked Pennington. So there may not be another, but you name Why? who it is. And, and Pennington's going to, I don't know. She's not good. Like she's not exciting. I mean, she's good. No, no, it's she's, good. she's a good fighter, but she's not exciting. She's not a personality. She's. Yeah. This is like, if, if on one end of the spectrum is Dana White wearing a Korean zombie t-shirt in public after KZ's like second UFC fight. Pennington is the opposite of that. Nobody knows why Dana likes her. Like she's, she's a a good grindy fighter who's openly lesbian, but he does. And and I'm okay with it. So Pennington. Yeah. The knee jerk reaction is really. And I'm like, yeah, really on the flip side of it. I'm going to ask you. Mayra Bueno Silva, I, I ran down the whole thing. She's 5-2-1 with one no contest in the UFC. What I didn't mention is she started at flyweight. She moved up uh, after losing to Manon Fior. I think she realized, she saw the writing on the wall at flyweight. She's like, okay, I'm never getting past that chick. Yeah. Since moving up to Bantamweight, she's beaten Wu Yanan, Stephanie Egger, and Lena Landsberg, and she had a win over yeah, Holly Holm. Bad. That's pretty bad. Overturned, and she was losing the Holm until Holm shot into a guillotine. Yeah. Where, like, does she rank for you? And if so, where would she rank for you on, like, the worst UFC title challengers ever? Oh. You know, I mean, like, like outside of ones that were made on last-minute notice because of an yeah, 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 like, like uh, Joe Soto getting a title shot. Um, yeah. I don't think it's that bad because one, you got to take the, you know, it, it, you got to take everything in perspective. It, it's women's bandwagon, so it's never been a strong division. So, like, you can't compare it to a ban, you know, a men's bandwagon in a title shot or something like that, or men's lightweight. Um, it, it it really depends on how you look at Holly Holm. If you take it the Holly Holm fight out, you to it, you know, it's a no contest, doesn't count. We pretend it never happened. Then it's one of the worst. You don't go beat Lena Landsberg and then you get a title shot. But it's like. <laughs> it's like when someone like someone's like testifying in court and they say something they're not supposed to like talk about a pre- previous conviction and they're like I object your honor and, and like the judge like yep strike that from your record and like all the jurors was, was like magically forget about that like oh you mean this guy who's up for child molestation has been previously convicted of a child molestation yeah yeah I didn't hear that you know and then, and then I'll do like a you know they don't strike the jury and start all over. So if if you count her Holly Holm, yeah, I mean she just beat Holly Holm. I mean, yeah, was it the best victory? Was it? Not, but she submitted Holly Holm. Which, and, and and if Holm had beaten her, this would be Holm versus Pennington right now. So I guess she comes by fair and square. Yeah, yeah. Holm, yeah. Would, Holm would be the third time they fight or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then when you think about like like Justin Eilers getting a UFC heavyweight title shot off a loss, or people winning the Ultimate Fighter show, and I mean or, obviously or Yoel Romero off of missing weight in his previous yeah, fight. Yeah. 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 Matt, Matt, Sarah, you know, get, I mean, he won. So that's not the best example, but like winning a controversial decision against Chris Lytle. And, and if he lost 
to to St. Pierre by any way, even if he'd done a Rocky one and like valiantly fought yeah, the loss, yeah. he would still go down as dude. That was the worst title challenger of all time. Yeah, yeah, you know this Travis this blown up, getting, you know, yeah. getting title shot. So I don't think it's that bad. I mean, she's the favorite. She's supposed to, you know, but she's supposed to win. Yeah, she's the favorite and she's supposed to win. But here's my little secret. I don't think she does. I there's a possibility that Pennington has fallen off. She's 35, but I think of women's bantamweight as being like men's light heavyweight, where 35 is not old, and the division has usually had a few stars at the top and actually been super, super weak beneath the top five. Like the the, the parallels stand out there. Unless Pennington has really fallen off at 35, and it's possible, you know, she's has a lot of cage time, she's taken some beatings, but if she hasn't, I think she's kind of tailor-made to give Mayura Bueno Silva a miserable night. Uh, Holm was doing Holly Holm things to Silva yeah. again until she shot into a guillotine. Uh, but Holm's whole last act of her career has been about her realizing that, hey, you know what? I'm a great athlete. I'm strong as hell. And I've now been a mixed martial artist a lot longer than I was a boxer. I'm just going to start wrestling these hoes. And it was, <laughs> um, I just got fired. Uh, but, and... And the new senior senior editor at <laughs> keeps chilling here. <laughs> um, I, if Holly Holm can do the Holly Holm thing to Mayra Bueno Silva, I think Pennington could do the Pennington thing. She is a, I mean, she's a grinder. Like she's a, she's a, a a decent boxer. as always, limited by her lack of athleticism, but you know, decent technique, okay power, good volume, good. Uh, you know, and the cardio to, to carry it for three or five rounds, but excels grinding in the clinch, even against women that that shouldn't work against. Like Pennington isn't huge. And there have been women who looked bigger and stronger than her that she just kind of bullied around. I mean, in a row, Chasson, Ladd, and Vieira all look bigger and stronger than Pennington. And she just gave them all a miserable time. Uh, I could see her doing that to my Bueno Silva. Silva, despite being a former flyweight, immediately just kind of blew up into a good-sized uh, Bantamweight, but I don't think she's going to be able to keep Pennington off her. Uh, I think Pennington is probably going to be the one who's building and growing stronger as the fight goes along. It's not going to be super exciting, but I, I think Pennington wins here. I, I think she probably wins by like sweeping the last four rounds or something. Uh, and just the, I mean, I, if, especially if the booth is like Rogan in DC, they'll be getting into like side conversations and historical, you know, stuff and joking and riffing kind of like when Keith and I are talking about a fight that's boring to think about this one might be boring to watch but uh, I don't think there's going to be any question at the end give me Pennington in the mild upset here wow um before I give my prediction you know whether Bruno so deserves this or not and is let me ask you this question is there a least intriguing title fight in recent minutes, like what's worse, something they are least interested in for a title shot than this one? Oh, that's a really good question. If I may, I'll I'll, I'll sort of start to digest that. Well, well, okay. all right, I'll talk and see if you yeah. I, I can't think of one that I'm least interested in this one. And and this is now no shot against. I mean, no, yeah, it is. This is a shot against the whole division. And when the man of the news has left, the whole division is like whatever. Um, you have like washed up no i don't want to washed up but really old people you know fighters like misha tate and holly Holm. you got the you know you were kel pennington's that were yeah good but always like the next tier down there's no like 
prospects. You're like, oh, here's the person, you know. Uh, it's just just a tough division. Um, you know, Raquel Penn, is, she's always been this, like, flat-footed, minus athlete, kind of slow, uh, but can kind of just take a beat and press the action. She's a builder that keeps getting stronger as the fight goes on. She's a technical boxer who likes to work in the pocket with her left hook always being her best blow. Uh, she loves that dipping to her right, left hook over the top. Um, but her game, and it's always been this way, but it's even more now, is just battling the close quarters. She wants to get to the clinch. It's an ideal for her to just press her opponent against the cage, their back against the cage, and just wear on them. Uh, she'll occasionally drop down on the hips, look for a takedown. Uh, has solid takedown defense, uh, especially if you drop down on her. She loves like a standing guillotine. She's got one of the best in 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 the game of that. Uh, if she's taken down, she works you know well to get back to her feet. She has a, you know a little bit of a submission threat, and she has a cardio. I mean, she's not going to tire her down. You know, like you know, she'll have the natural tire of a match, but she's like she won't gas. Uh, Bino Silva also not a great athlete. Uh, she's a Muay Thai striker on the feet, fights out of both stances. She's aggressive. Pocket boxer gets inside with tight boxing, throws combinations, has good power, um, but she can load up a little too much. Uh, she throws out some spinning attacks. She likes teep kicks, uh, strong Muay Thai clinch. Not a great wrestler. Like, she struggles to get the fight to the ground, but she is a submission artist. I mean, she caught Holly Holm with a beautiful ninja choke. She armbarred Stephanie Edgar. Uh, she's a weak defensive wrestler. If you try to take her down, I mean, run them. Marna Morose took her down uh, a lot in their fight. I don't have a strong read on this fight. You know, if if one fighter runs through the other one, you know, and there's an early stoppage or, you know, then I think Brandel Silva won. You know, she caught Pennington. She she landed big stuff on the feet. Pennington's, you know, shot kind of thing. I mean, she's almost winning streaks. So I'm not saying I, I don't expect her to be shot, but I'm just saying, like, you know, based on – how long she's been in the UFC. The deeper the fight goes on, though, the I think it starts favoring Pennington, uh, especially if she gets inside. I think Pennington's going to do exactly what you said. I think she's going to control the fight. I think she's going to get inside. I think she's going to wear on Bruno Silva. I think she's going to get a takedown. I think she's going to hold Bruno Silva down. Um, I don't think it'd be best for her to get takedowns. I think it'd be best for her she actually just worked the clinch and dirty boxed and and – and, you know, pressed and, and kind of kept it in the pocket boxing range and, you know, pocket boxing and then clinch, pocket boxing and then clinch. I think this fight's going to suck. It's a long time coming. I can't blame him doing this, but I think Pennington gets it done. Give me Raquel Pennington to become a UFC champion. Give me Pennington by split decision. And new. Uh, the only less appealing title fights within – any kind of recent memory that I can think of are both also in women's divisions. The inaugural women's flyweight title fight that ended up being Nico Montano versus Mark San Mataferi was like next level bad. And then uh, Nunez versus Felicia Spencer, featherweight. Yeah. The, the only thing I you still had Nunez. You True. Know? And then, and at that time, Nico Montano had a little bit of buzz. Like we didn't know what we had with her. We thought she could be exciting. So yeah, I'm still putting this number one. Yeah, this one's this one's rough. Like, I just imagine the I imagine the press conference, you know, I, this week, and they're asking questions and like you know Jose Youngs and and Oscar Willis, you know the usual people. They, you know, they ask one or two questions of Strickland and Duplessis, and they're just like, 
like, those guys are professional, so they'll they're like, all right, we kind of have to ask Raquel Benson. But, like, no one's going there like happy to ask a question. <laughs> like, there's not going to be a lot of questions for those two. Anyways. That brings us to the main event of the UFC's first pay-per-view of 2024, a middleweight title fight between defending champ Sean Strickland and challenger Drikus Duplessis. Strickland, the 32-year-old American, is 28-5 and five overall. He is 15-5 and five in the UFC. He is 8-2 and two since moving up from welterweight. And he is on a three-fight win streak that, of course, included his shocking capture of the UFC middleweight title in his most recent appearance in the headliner of UFC 293 last September, where he took a dominant unanimous decision over Israel Adesanya to become uh, the new champ. He will look to mount his first defense against Duplessis, who, but for an untimely injury, uh, this fight might have been exactly reversed with Duplessis as the defending champ. 30-year-old South African is 20-2 and overall. He's a perfect 6-0 and since joining the UFC as a former welterweight champ in KSW and a former middleweight and welterweight champ in uh, Africa's EFC promotion. He fought most recently last July at UFC 290, knocking out former champ Robert Whitaker in the first round. He had been scheduled to challenge Adesanya in September. He was injured. He withdrew. Strickland stepped up on relatively short notice and landed Sherdog's biggest upset of 2023. Now we get this fight that we might have gotten anyway. Keith, your favorite is minus 140. Your underdog is plus 115. It's a very close line. Well, close to a pick yeah. yeah. Who are they? Oof. Oh, man. I mean, they're both coming off their best victories. I'm going to say Duplessis is the favorite. Your favorite is Sean Strickland. Minus Ooh. 140. Uh, Duplessis yeah. available just above even money. Plus 110. I'm... First off, this show is for entertainment value only. We say at least once per show, we're not a betting show. <laughs> I didn't know once. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but especially in this case, I am historically terrible at picking both of these guys' fights. So if you are the kind of degenerate that just has to have betting advice, listen to Keith. Don't listen to me. <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I didn't know the betting line. So. <laughs> uh, here's the thing. These guys are both former welterweights. And in the case of Duplessis in particular, it's hard to picture. We just recently talked about Mike Malott being a former featherweight and how that just seems ridiculous now because he's got so much muscle on his frame. He just looks like he never could have been that small. Like Duplessis, he's not the biggest middleweight, but he's big. He's, he's big in that kind yeah. of – like you would never look at – Marvin Vittori and be like, oh, that, that I bet that guy used to weigh 170. No, he's just yeah. a big, thick, six foot, six foot one guy with big muscles. Uh, who he's clearly into his muscles, so you can't picture him ever being like smaller. That that's depressing. And yeah. Marvin Vittori was born in in high school. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Marvin Vittori never watched like Sesame Street in his life, like or no. Barney or anything like that. He's just Bond, no. yeah, yeah. He like arm wrestling somebody in the back of a math class. Yeah, he started shaving in in kindergarten. Like, yeah, he's <clears throat> uh, Duplessis got a little of that. And if you look at his, yeah, uh, his 
fights like in EFC and KSW, he's always been a big dude. When he was at welterweight, it was by sucking out too much. He's something like 19 and one in his last 20 fights. And his one loss, he and Roberto Soldich, you know, had a fantastic barn burner uh, rivalry going in, in KSW. There's no shame there. Soldich is one of the best fighters in that weight range outside of uh, North American promotions. But even in those fights, Duplessis looked like bigger than Soldich in some kind of way. Uh, I really underestimated him coming to the UFC. Like I, I've been too dismissive of EFC because as late as like 2010, EFC was awful. Yeah, it was the best promotion in like sub-Saharan Africa, but it was bad. It was sending the UFC people like ruined pots that would just, you know, lose two fights by 90 second knockout and were gone. It's a different story now, but more importantly, Duplessis, he has next level physical gifts. He's he's one of the more athletic guys in the division, like really explosive, tons of power on his strikes. And while he's he can overswing sometimes, he doesn't have to. He's the kind of guy that he has power and everything just because he is that big, that fast, that fluid. Um, he is one of those fighters that is a surprisingly effective wrestler just on his athleticism, speed, and power. He doesn't have fantastic technique, but just manages to haul people to the ground by by overwhelming them. And he's not been pushed around, even by some of the biggest, strongest dudes in the division, like Derek Brunson. Uh, here, again, Strickland is coming into this fight off of a massive upset the biggest upset of 2023 and the most shocking thing about it all was how non-shocking it seemed by the time he was done. Like it was one of those fights where if you show somebody who'd never watched MMA before, you would have had a hard time convincing that Strickland was like a six to one underdog just because who would have yeah. predicted that somebody was going to beat Israel Adesanya with nothing but a, a one, two walking forward and not even trying for takedowns. It's like still the, one of the weirdest, weirdest fights I can remember. It's one of the weirdest fights we can remember. Jury is out on whether he just has Israel Adesanya's number or there was some other extenuating circumstance going on, but that's not going to be Trickus Duplessis. Like, it, that's that's not going to happen. Like, Trickus Duplessis is not going to stand there and get uh, jabbed up and and one twoed at at range for five rounds or even three or even one and a half. Uh, I mean, he may go down in flames, but I think he's going to come at Strickland with aggression. Uh, I don't, and I, I hate straying into intangibles here, but they kind of matter. Like, I don't think Duplessis is going to be wowed by the occasion. I, I don't think he's going to be nervous here. I don't think he's going to be tentative. Uh, he thinks he deserved to be here several fights ago. Like he's got a lot of bluster, but it's not putting on the show. It's not like, you know, Colby Covington or Chael Sonnen, like turning that little switch and like, okay, I'm in presser mode now. I, I have the feeling that Drickus Duplessis is a dick all the time. And I mean that <laughs> as, as a, a borderline compliment. Uh, <clears throat> I, I think he's going to come right at Strickland and be like, okay, what have you got? Like, are you going to try to beat me with the limited repertoire that somehow worked on, on Adesanya? Five years ago, like before his bad motorcycle or car accident, Strickland's wrestling was underrated and underused. Like he was a surprisingly good wrestler and he kind of had that in his back pocket during his welterweight run. 
I kept on thinking he had that at 185. He has been so reluctant to use it that I think I was wrong. I think he can't do that anymore. I, I think the injuries may have taken that away from him. Maybe just age. It's harder to drop levels and, and shoot a good double from the outside yeah. when you're older and 15 or 20 pounds heavier. He may not have that anymore. His defensive wrestling? Man, I think Drickus Duplessis is going to be able to get in on Strickland, pick him up and slam him down if he wants to. And I think the exchanges on the feet are going to be such that even if Strickland outlands Duplessis two to one or three to one, Duplessis is going to land with such superior power that it's going to look like he's winning the striking. I, I Again, I'm terrible at picking Sean Strickland fights. I'm terrible at picking Drickus Duplessis fights. But we've seen it from Duplessis before. He was getting kind of picked apart by, by Trevin Giles. And then the difference in power started to tell. Like Giles, who is a good boxer and a big 170, like probably a good preview of 185, like was kind of piecing him up, probably outlanded him two to one in the first round. And in the second round, it took Duplessis about three punches to make that entirely meaningless. Strickland is better than Giles but he's better at, at a lot of the same things. I could see that same kind of thing happening here. I think we're going to have a new champ. I think Dupl I'm going to say Duplessis knocks Strickland out in the third round and whether he hurts him on the feet, falls into the ground, and then is just a mashing or we get some sort of highlight reel thing where he just lamps him standing. Uh, yeah. Give me and new. And whether you like Drickus Duplessis, you find him amusing, you hate him. The volume is going to be turned up to 11 for the foreseeable future. Cause a lot of people are going to want a piece and he's going to have something to say to each and every single one of them. Uh, so tune in. The question is if he wins and, and Adesanya is really sitting on the shelf. I mean, it's more for a recap, but I mean, who's, who's, who's next in that division? There's no one really like out in front of the pack, but I mean, that's, that's, we can talk about that in the recap show. <laughs> so, um, yeah, man, this is this is an intriguing fight. Um, I, I'm glad the betting line is is as close as it is because it, to me, uh, you seem very confident in Duplessis, and I, I, I I'm not confident either way. Well, um, I, I'm confident in the sense of confident that I said it really loud, but I also said like three times that I'm terrible at picking these guys' fights, so yeah. I'm, I'm hedging a little fair, bit. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, we know what we got with Sean Strickland. This point. I mean, but he's a striker. Brent, Brendan Allen is next for for whoever. If yeah, Abbasani isn't be. available. Yeah, it might be. Um, I mean, you know, it could be is um, <laughs> Hazmat, <laughs> Shemaev. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Hamzat will say a few things and they'll slide him right in, especially since he's back on the I've been really sick thing that made him like fake retire a couple of years ago. That might be it. But I mean, especially if it's Strickland and he and Allen have that first fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. We'll, now, why are we we'll, recapping this already? I'm yeah. sorry. You go ahead. You go yeah. ahead and give the preview. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, Strickland is so hard to read because even some wins, they're not the most impressive. Like the <laughs> Abbas Mega Madoff win. Like, yeah, he was kind of losing, and then he just finally was like, "Hey, maybe I should like tear up the volume." And then he has a brilliant showing against Israel Sanya, but. I still like, was it a brilliant showing or was it, 
Adesanya was checked out. Was he just seemed so flat and so I mean, just so different. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Strickland's a striker that just marches down his foe. Uh, one thing I like, he's very relaxed, technically sound striker. He starts off a little slow, um, and some of that setting traps and stuff. But when he picks up the pace and starts moving forward and 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 letting his hands go, and he starts talking, um, I think we could have some of that in this fight. If you're him saying, you know, yelling at Drikas, you know, and stuff. But to his credit, he started much faster against Adesanya. No, no, I mean, it, I think it was what late in the first round when he dropped Adesanya. It was late in the first round, yes. Yeah, but it, yeah, it wasn't like the most blistering pace. But uh, yeah, his jab is whole world. I mean, he's got one of the best jabs in MMA. He follows it with straight punches down the pipe. He keeps everything tight. He doesn't overextend on his shots. Not many tells. He will admit that he's a point fighter. He'll admit that he's like, oh, I hit like a bitch. But to his credit. He he did drop Adesanya, so maybe he's coming into his power. I mean, he's he's thirty two, so it's a that would be a little surprising. But you know, with those small gloves, you know, uh, it could be. But I, I'm still kind of believing that might be a little bit more Adesanya looking terrible. Um, he he's I I hope he'd throw more kicks. He's got a good kicking game. He didn't throw any kicks against Adesanya, but he's got hard kicks to the body, hard kicks to the legs. Uh, though he is open because that boxing style, you know, when he's heavy on the front foot, he's open at leg kicks himself, something that Duplessis will do a lot. Uh, if he closes distance on, he will battle in the clinch. Uh, he doesn't wrestle. He, you know, the only fight that he really, really wrestled since his return to UFC was Uriah Hall fight. He took him down four times, but he got a couple takedowns here and there. Um, you know, he's more of a sprawl and brawl kind of guy for his takedown defense. Doesn't get tired because he's just you know, slightly working, you know, he's that guy that he's, he's not doing, you know, speed limit 65, he's doing 75. He's not getting pulled over. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it just, it just works for him. Duplessis, man, I wasn't sold on Duplessis, you know, on his rise up the UFC. I kept, I mean, you talk about you having bad picks. I keep picking against him and, and his performance against Rob Whitaker, it's hard to doubt him anymore. I mean, it was a great performance. Um, He's, Looked better and better in fights. Uh, he fights out of both stances. He's I've said this before about him. He's got really deceivingly long arms where his opponents think they're out of range and he still hits. He's he's an action fighter. He's going to press the action. He's going to throw a lot. He's a pressure counter striker with high volume, tax with combination, um, plus power. I mean, he's got four KOs already in the UFC, nine in total. So I surprised to say good power. Uh, though. He can load up a little bit. He he can he can kind of telegraph some of his shots. Uh, he'll, he'll occasionally throw out some spinning attacks. Good calf kicks. I think something that he could be successful against uh, Sean Strickland is that the problem, and this is the one thing I've always had with Duplessis, is his defensive holes. He backs straight up. He avoids shots by pillaring. Um, doesn't move his head that well. Uh, he hates being pressured back. He's been hurt in a lot of his fights. He even fights that he was dominating. I mean, they went the end of that Darren Till fight where he was like holding on to a victory against like, like a shot, like you know, somewhat shot Darren Till. Um, now he's an opportunist wrestler. Like those, but he he's got ten takedowns in six UFC fights. Now six of those came against Darren Till, but he still got takedowns against Robert Whitaker and Derek Brunson. Those are good. And if he gets on top, he's got mean ground and pound. Um, He's a submission that he has 10 subs. I don't expect him to get a submission against Strickland, but I can see him like taking him down and, and beat him up. This is good. Uh, I, I do think on the feet, I think 
I agree with you what you're saying. Like, um, Duplessis has more like variations, you know, in his striking. He's you know stepping knees and spinning attacks and hooks and high kicks and calf kicks and and he definitely has more power. But Strickland's the, the cleanup boxer. If Strickland can get in his face and make this strictly a boxing match, or just yeah, I think he's got the advantage in the hand speed. I think he's got he's more accurate. Um, definitely more defensive sound. You know, he's Strickland's good at rolling with punches and deflecting punches. Um, doesn't really get hurt. I mean, I mean, obviously the Alex Perry walk right into a left hook. Yeah, but that's that's a that's a once in a lifetime guy. I mean. He, Alex Perry, I can freaking knock out a dinosaur. <laughs> like, so, um, the fight is hard to pick in the line, but how the fight goes down, I don't think it's hard to pick. I think it really depends on the feet. Now, again, I, I agree with you. If the, if the, if this is a grappling battle, I, I definitely favor Duplessis. Not that I think he's a better. I don't. I don't. I don't he's a good wrestler. Like he's opportunistic. He just think he's willing to go to it. Well, I don't know. If, I mean, Strickland's definitely. I don't expect him to go for takedowns. If, if he's on top on, or something like that, it's, it's defensive wrestling. Like you know, scramble happen. But on the feet, to me, it really is who's pressing the action, who's moving forward. I mean, Strickland wants to march down Duplessis, get him to fight off his back foot, while Duplessis wants to press the action, make it a brawl. Um, you know, close the distance, get on top, get some takedowns. I've really flip-flopped. You know, if there's a big knockout or something, it should be Duplessis. If, if there's a big grind and pound or someone destroys a guy, it's, it's Duplessis. I, I do believe that Strickland is kind of keeping the belt warm for the next middleweight guy. Now, you know, I'm a big bow nickel guy. So, uh, but I mean, I'm trying to be realistic. Like, uh, you know, Shemaev or, or, or somebody else. So if you ask me which of these two guys could have a bigger title run, it would be Duplessis. It's just, can Duplessis beat Strickland right now? I'm torn, man. The The one thing about Duplessis I don't like is how hittable he is. I mean, even, I mean, Darren Till was tagging him up. Um, You mentioned the Trevin Giles fight. That was a fight that Trevin Giles was winning mm-hmm. until he yep. got caught. And he was winning with a jab and straight punches down the sh- down the pipe, and that wasn't that long ago. But Strickland's also had some bad bad performances. Um, like again, I flip flop back and forth. I I think Duplessis is going to have a lot of success early. I think he's, I I just think there's going to be a moment where. I think Strickland's going to – I think he's going to get mad, start talking, start yelling at him, calling him a bitch, starts marching forward. And I think he's just piecing up with jabs and combinations. And I think he – you know, Duplessis shoots a takedown in the third and Strickland actually stuffs it now. And, I, you know, then he's starting to turn up the volume. And I think he's – I think it's going to be Duplessis early and I think it's going to be Strickland late. And I think Strickland's going to win a really close – fight i'm gonna say strickland wins a split decision all right we have a little bit more disagreement here uh both of us acknowledging that there's some uncertainty here can't wait for this one 
That's it. The Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC 297, Strickland versus Duplessis, which goes down this Saturday, the 20th, at Scotiabank Arena in Toronto. I've been Ben. He has been Keith. If this is your first time listening or watching, first of all, thank you. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we were pretty business-like this time. Normally, there's a little more trivia slash story time slash general goofiness, but we tried to do our best to sprinkle that in around some of the deepest analysis you will find anywhere. Uh, please do give us a like, a follow, leave us a comment. Keith and I both man the comment section. We love to hear from you. If you think we're completely out on a limb on some of these picks, you might be right. Tell us and we will give you all your flowers. Most importantly, join us for the recap. We will be live on the Sherdog YouTube page about 10 minutes after the main event, as we always are. Keith takes the captain's chair. We'll talk about all 12 of these fights in reverse order from the two title fights all the way down to the heavily Canadian undercard talking about what's good, what was bad, what was surprising, what was controversial. There's always something talking about what's next for some of the notable winners as well as losers and talking with you because the live chat is open that whole time. So we are taking your questions, your comments, and your hot takes in real time. We have a growing community of friends that hang out with us after the fights, and we would love for you to be part of it. Between now and then, thank you once again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week, and by all means, enjoy these fights. It's dragging it down.